Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is the Downtime Podcast where we're going to be taking you deeper than ever into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. Before we get stuck into this week's episode, I've got an awesome offer for you from We Are One Composites. I've been riding We Are One's wheels for years now. From the early versions all the way up to the latest convergence wheels, they've provided an incredible ride feel balanced with great accuracy and ability to hold a line. They've also been faultless in their reliability and robustness. Now, We Are One have made their wheels even better value by permanently reducing the price of their rims and wheel sets, as always putting you, the customer, first. What's even better is that for the month of August, We Are One are offering downtime listeners an extra 15% off of that reduced retail price too. That's right, for the month of August, you can get 15% off all wheel sets, rims, and their depackaged bar and stem. So whether you want their new convergence wheels, their still very awesome revolution wheels, or their depackaged bar and stem, then now is your time. You can get 15% off until the end of August 2023 by using the code DOWNTIMEAUGUST2023 at weareonecomposites.com. That's downtime with a capital D, no space, then August with a capital A, no space, followed by the number 2023 at weareonecomposites.com. Please note this must be entered at the final stage of the checkout process on the confirm order page. If you're getting something out of the podcast, then it would be awesome if you'd consider giving a little something to help the podcast keep going and growing. That could be as simple as recommending it to your riding buddies or sharing the episodes on your social media. Or you could set up a small regular donation via my Patreon, which you'll find at patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. A massive thanks to everyone who supports via Patreon. You've already helped me upgrade my travel recording equipment that I take to races and events, as well as making some audio upgrades to my home setup too. Also, if you want to represent the podcast, then there's downtime t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies available over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. To get a little more downtime in your life, then you can join my newsletter where I'll provide you with a bit of behind the scenes info on the podcast, interesting bits and pieces from around the mountain bike world, some mini reviews of products I've been using and like, partner offers and more. You can do that over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. Otherwise, don't forget to follow the podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. You can do that by hitting that button in your podcast app now, or there's buttons for all the major platforms to help you over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can either listen to today's episode right here, or if you'd prefer to watch it, you can now do that over on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash at Downtime Podcast. All the links for everything I've mentioned in the intro are in the show notes for this episode on downtimepodcast.com. All right, Dan Roberts is the man behind those deliciously technical downhill bike reviews on Pinkbike, as well as being responsible for the raw Yalla and helping Nico Malali with his Frameworks project. We sat down at Fort William World Champs to find out more about him. Dan shares how he created a career for himself in mountain bike design and offers some thoughts on bike design itself. As you'll find out, it's not been a straightforward path, but Dan hasn't lost sight of how awesome his work is. There's lots to learn from Dan's story, so without further ado, here's Dan Roberts. Dan Roberts, welcome to the Downtime Podcast, man. Thanks for taking some time out of a hectic World Cup, well, not even World Cup, World Champs week. We're here in Fort William. How are you feeling about that? First time uh, this year at a race, is it, or not? No, first time was Lenzerheide. Ah, okay. Um, uh, but this is a special one. And we didn't know whether we would comment or not, support some of the brands I work for, support some races and stuff. And uh, it's always a bit of a late one, knowing whether people are selected or not. So yeah. we're a bit like, oh, we don't know if we're coming or not. Hadn't got anything pre-booked. And then the opportunity came up with Nico Malali to come. He was yep. like, I'll offer you a, a place to stay. So I bit his arm off and booked the flights. Damn right. Yeah. Good, cool. 
<laughs> Sweet. I was here for the last world champs here in 2007 so still got good memories of that and yeah sam hill winning and six people deep lining the track all the way down amazing and in the pissing rain and yeah it was glorious so how old would you have been then yes <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's a problem the older you get the worse you get <laughs> like figuring out the dates yeah uh 86 2007 so 21 okay yeah, yeah. fair play so a racer back then yourself or bits and pieces yeah. not like uh you've got like hobby races they'll do maybe one a year which yeah. is probably where i'm at about now uh-huh. you've got like your full-on guys that are going for it like every single weekend don't seem to ride much they just seem to race and bit in the middle somewhere did a bunch of pierce races yeah. we end up doing a bunch of like uh, bmx races where they'd let you in in the open class on a mountain bike and full cross a bit and okay yeah, done some XC and downhill and enduro and stage races and stuff. Yeah, yeah, because you grew up in like Pierce downhill country, right? Where were you? Where did you grow up? Nantwich. Okay. So floral market town in Cheshire. Yeah. Flat as a pancake, but surrounded by Wales, not far from like Scotland, but like so much good riding. Like it seems in Britain, every single hill has got a few trails on it. Yeah. Like Delamere Forest was my little yeah yeah haunt, and or Mac Forest or Cannock Chase, those places. So I rode there and uh, yeah, it's a good run there. Eh? It is really good. <laughs> it's so fair. much, yeah. 30 so, second tracks, but yeah. a lot of them. Do you remember how you discovered mountain biking? Like where did that love for it come from in the first place? I still vividly remember being bought a rally um, for Christmas one year and it was red, like this kind of like funky pink job. It's quite nice, like a marble red. It was really nice. Oh uh, yeah, was it a was that the Mustang? No, it was like a Rally Max or something like that. Hmm. When you look at of... it this year, it's not like it's not that special. Right. But I was a kid and it was like, oh, mountain bike. <laughs> and I got on the seat and the seat was slammed and my feet were like four inches from the pedals. <laughs> and I just remember the weeks after it, like willing my legs to grow. It felt like an eternity staring at my legs like, come on, grow. And no. And we had a little kind of common little woods where we were and we just... People walked their dogs through it and we ended up building some tracks in there. A couple of mates lived on the other side of the common and we just built tracks, built jumps. Mates from school would ride up from Ravensmoor, which felt like miles away, but now it's just like half an hour ride. And just built jumps and things and yeah, usually spent all day building the takeoff. Yeah. Got to about 5, 5.30 before your mum would shout you in for tea and uh, realised that we hadn't built a landing and someone <laughs> needed to guinea pig it. <laughs> and was that you? Generally, yeah. I don't know whether looking back that was through selection of the group or just stupidity, uh-huh. maybe both. But we'd generally guinea pig it, land, slip the pedals and go <laughs> home with like bloody socks. Sounds and your mum right. would shout at me. So yeah. ever since then I've had like it drilled into me not to wear white. Yeah. So seeing the current trends in racing of white is still bringing back some <laughs> tough memories. <laughs> Twitchy memories, yeah. Do your own bloody washing. <laughs> Class. Yeah. Sounds very familiar, yeah, because plastic pedals, no no riding specific shoes, right? No. Grip to the pedal was not a thing back then. No, grip to anything wasn't. Terrible yeah, tires, tires, rigid yeah. bike. Yeah. yeah. No, and like spun from there and started buying MBUK. It was, I think, the first magazine I bought and then shortly after Dirt. Yeah. So I got into dirt and really got into all that and just poured over it like endlessly reading about mountain biking as like a proper sport and the races outside and the stories, what was going on and the pictures and just I 
still have like most of my dirt magazines at oh, home wicked so good still go for it it's super nice i don't have like the original ones and stuff but like lots of old dirts yeah. and you just yeah it, it felt like a dream world like europe and this whole world cup racing and stuff and so I grew up on that and then saved up for a map like a barracuda okay so again by today's standards terrible <laughs> absolutely terrible but it was 250 quid and you could put a deposit in and then every time you don't a bit of money, you go in with a little card. That's put, cool. Put another tenner on it. It's just in the off. local bike shop kind of thing. It or? was like a local kind of mini, like a smaller version of Halfords. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. like car parts and yeah. cleaners and stuff like that. And they had some bikes. Eventually got that. So I had double crowns. Yeah, I had full suspension. It weighed a ton. <laughs> but like we took that up to Bickerton Hill. Yeah. Just random little hill. And it had a bomb hole at the end. So you had all these kind of like um progressing sizes of drops around into nice. the bomb hole and you just had two settings on your fork one was for like when it was cold and everything was rigid so you'd soften all the elastomers up <laughs> the other one was for when it's warm and you just bottom out on like a pavement drop so you had to like ramp the elastomers really hard so did that and then yeah that thing got stolen unfortunately uh -huh. bought a set of oh, what were they called the not monster teeth uh super tees yeah yeah was it those ones? yeah super tees gold or was that the month? Yeah. yeah, I know. I what just you remember mean, them yeah. having. That was when I started to like wish. Looking back at those era, that age now, I would wish I could know a little bit more about what was going on on the bikes, uh -huh. just to have maybe taken advantage of it. Yeah, because it had an air valve somewhere, and you could pump it up and put anything more than like seven psi in, and the forks felt terrible. <laughs> so I had that, and yeah, so I put a set of them on from a friend. He was a bit. I think his family a bit more well off, and he ended up having like an old DH team, giant DH okay. team. And yeah, he yeah. had a Santa Cruz chameleon with single crown shivers. So ended up getting a bit nice. of his cast off parts, but for me, they were really good. <laughs> so that got stolen, which is a sad day. And then bought an intense M1, found it on like, uh, was it Southern downhill forum? Or something? Oh yeah. That was the big, yeah. Yes. Pre, sort of pre pink bike. Being yeah, thing. yeah. 650 quid. Yeah. That Somehow. was the dream bike back then though. Well, like, it still is yeah like i again that bike i really wish i knew a fraction of what i do now back then to have appreciated all the different geometry and suspension settings yeah. you could do on it and yeah yeah so i had that that was amazing love that bike and then yeah rode that for a bunch of time upgraded loads of parts took it to my first mozine trip that was terrifying <laughs> you don't think i really enjoyed any of the riding looking back you really well, no, you like it's so different to the UK. Yeah, you the, can the you tracks. can get in trouble quite quickly. Like the speed builds in the UK. You're, yeah. you're pedaling if you want speed generally, especially yeah. back then. There were, there weren't that many like steep tracks in the UK no. early on. We did a bunch of pierce downhill races on that thing. Still remember one because I somehow had some cast off tires from Dan Critchlow. He was okay. racing on intense. Yeah, and they were about like inch thick carcass. Didn't move, <laughs> and uh, it was a horrible muddy race. Uh, um, Bringewood, yeah. that's the one. And I had to stop halfway down the track and dig the back wheel out of mud because it wasn't turning around. Wow. That was fun. <laughs> um, and that's actually around the time we discovered Pierce uplifts because up until then we'd drive out that way or a friend who could drive, would, we'd go out with them yeah. and then we'd push up. So you'd yeah. end up doing maybe max two full runs. Yeah. And usually every ride would end in a crash at some point for me. Crashed a lot as a kid. Good. Yeah. We're just going on my bike history here, aren't we? Yeah, it's all right then. And then um, 
yeah, in ten cent one, sold that to everyone in the UK's got a mate called Dave. So yeah. sold it to me, mate Dave. And he rode it for a long time actually until the chain stays broke. Ah, first muzzing trip was a good one. We halfway down one of the tracks back to we were staying at on um, Montreal Lake. Mm -hmm. Halfway oh, nice. down one of the tracks there. Obviously probably stopped for friggin' arm pump reasons. And we, oh, my friend, they said, you, when you're not coming out to France with us if you don't wear like full body armor. Oh yeah, it's so the days of the Danisi like full suit. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, and it got sweaty zip and then you can't get the zip open because yeah. it's all corroded and you couldn't move anyway. I think that was a part <laughs> of why I didn't fully enjoy it that much. Yeah. I mean, I did. You're out in the mat, you, you can't not enjoy it, but you're like, the runs are so long, crazy arm pump. You're out of your depth all the time. Yes, yeah, intimidating when you've come from riding in the UK. It felt like by the end of the two weeks, you just started to acclimatize. Yeah. Just maybe. And get into the Dave's 10 runs of plenty before breakfast <laughs> regime and stuff. So, no. Um, so, yeah, saw that to a friend and a racer at the time. So, a town down the road called Crew had a really good BMX track that was floodlit till 10 every night. Nice. So we'd Sweet. go two, three times a week. Yeah, I had a like, Yeti DJ by them. And we'd ride there and ride with all the BMXers, do some gate starts and stuff. Great, like really, that was really good fun times and I appreciate that times because littlest bikes teach you the yeah. best skills, I think. Yeah. Um, and one of the races there, Kieran, he was sponsored at the time and he had one of the Iron Horse Sundays, but one of the special edition gold ones Ooh. after Hill won. I don't know if it was the World Champs and the World Cup overall. Or uh -huh. One of those. It was like 06, 07 yeah, okay. at that time. So he was selling that with, uh, what was the shot? Progressive. No, it was uh, the Intense had a progressive fifth element, and that one had like a Fox DHX5 or something. Okay. Really old shot. Anyway, had a tie spring. That was the bargaining point. That's fancy. Bought that, I think it was 600 quid as well. Swapped all the bits over, had some like old boxes with a new box of lowers and all the internals were from Dan Critchlow as well. So they were all apparently black box, yeah. but I don't know what the hell either leg did. Couldn't figure out if one was rebound <laughs> and one was compression. It was terrible. But built that, you got the like filofax out and cut it, made a mud guard on the back leg triangle yeah. of it. You used the camelback hose, like literally copied everything the mechanics were doing and you saw in dirt. You thought you were Sam Hill, basically. No. <laughs> 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 By that time, Earth had started like coming out on DVDs. So you'd you were watching him more and more. You're like, yeah. oh, not even close. <laughs> and that time I still had like I hadn't discovered contacts, so I was still wearing glasses to ride. Okay. Yeah. And it's funny, I was looking back with my wife through some old photos recently and I used to like squint to hold my, my glasses a bit tighter in my face. No way. So they wouldn't vibrate around. I still remember the day I did contact rides in the first ride. I was like, dear God. <laughs> this is an advantage. What? Yeah, I was like, this is amazing. And now I can see all the trees. Yeah. Now, so, you're, yeah. now you're scared. You can actually see what's coming. Yeah, it was a bit terrifying. <laughs> but no, like the Iron Horse was amazing. And then... We took the Iron Horse out to the Mega Avalanche. Yeah. A bunch of us did the Mega Avalanche on DH bikes and it literally kicked seven kinds of shit out of us. It's a big race that. It's a hell of a race on an old school downhill yeah. bike trying to, yeah. there's quite a lot of pedaling on Mega Avalanche. Right? Well, there lot, was yeah. then, there's less now, I think. But Yeah, I've not done it. We did it twice. And there's a whole, what was it? Steve Jones said it's, before it, you're really crapping your pants. While you're doing it, it's the worst thing in the world. And once you, fin no, once you finish, it's the best thing in the world. Sounds about right. Yeah. And I think it's like, yeah, you maybe after a few years of 
not doing it, you remember you start to forget yeah, what it was like to do it, and you're yeah. like, oh, I wonder if I could. And it creeps back in, but yeah, we took that, and then we came back home, rode DH bikes, and realised that you didn't ride them that much in the UK anymore. Or we we did we you did, but it was like lots of the tracks by then you could actually take because it was when kind of mountain bikes trail bikes enduro yeah. bikes were really coming yeah, into their they own start to improve yeah. yeah and so you could actually get away with riding that that would you'd have more fun on all the other stuff whereas normally we were riding hardtails yeah plus you could still take it shot then and that and even yeah. take it out to the alps as well so i ended up finding sell, selling the iron horse finding a lapia spicy it's the last time i'll ever buy a white bike there's a reason why test machines you spray the bikes white so yeah. you can see the cracks yeah that one that ended up in the bin but yeah no and then around that time is when i managed to get a job in switzerland and move and yeah access to yes yeah, so let's, let's go back to the kind of job side of things like what were you what were your interests like at school and studying like which path did you follow uh really early on it was archaeology okay probably just because i love digging holes in the ground <laughs> This come, did that come from digging it. trails or were you digging holes to look for stuff no this was like that? kid kit like okay. way before yeah. like way before riding kit I think riding really kicked in around sorry riding kicked in around 11 12 years old okay like somewhere yeah. around then same for me yeah uh, no just loved digging and seeing what was in the ground and stones and stuff and that yeah and then architecture was one thing and then as soon as I realised it was 7 years that <laughs> took the taste out of my mouth and yeah, I love, well, not loved, but I was good at maths and physics. They seem to work in my head quite well. Okay. Kind of logically, if that if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so that directed me towards engineering. So studied them at A2 level, like GCSE A2 level went yeah. through. And then cars. I was going to say performance car tech was your yeah. like degree, yeah? Really enjoyed cars and that whole stuff. So actually did a year down in Brunel University in London. Yeah. It's quite, it was the week before I did my A2 exams, I crashed and broke my collarbone. I was kicking in like a little lip on the side of uh, the road near where we are. So yeah. you could like pedal down the road, hit it, big bank verge and like land in it. And I just landed from like two meters up, put my arms out as you do when you crash and rode home quite gingerly around the corner, went upstairs, pulled my t-shirt down, was like, oh, all right, like yeah, my collarbone sticking out. Not out of the skin, but like she was broken pretty good. Went yeah. downstairs to mum. It's like, mum, I think I've broke my collarbone. And she just panic. <laughs> Dad was trying to like do a sling as I was sat in the passenger seat of the car. Couldn't figure it out. Mum's like losing her <laughs> shit. And there's two routes into town through Nantwich to Crew, where the hospital was. One's no speed bumps. The yeah. other is speed bumps. No. Mum took the speed bumps the whole way. That was fun. Um, so I actually didn't sit any of my... I only sat one of my A2 exams and it was actually assisted. So it was one of the science teachers uh -huh. sat with me. So he had a paper, I had a paper, sat down through both of them and he'd read me the question uh, and I'd answer what I'd like it to be written down. Yeah. And as soon as I'd write something that wasn't particularly correct, he'd look at me and be like, are you sure you'd like me to write that? No way. Actually, no, I'm not. I'd like you to, I'd, can I rethink what's going on there? So no, got ended up mostly predicted grades. And so Brunel had accepted me. You know, like at uni, you apply for like, at yeah. that time it was like four. Yeah. And you go through the kind of lists for that. Brunel was the top one because it's quite a prestigious engineering Yeah, for uni. engineering, yeah, for sure. And yeah, so when I had ended up with predicted grades, it was a bit of a panic. And the admissions lady, Petra, I have random memory, Petra, she still, she was like, no, we'll still take him. So it was like, 
Christ, so I packed everything up, went down to Bruno Uni. Yeah. and Which is London way, right? Yeah, just on the outskirts of yeah. London, like one of the last stops on the tube. And, and did a year there. And where I come from is like cow country, middle of nowhere. And I'd gone and plonked myself in like central London. 18, immature, yeah. uh -huh. didn't know how to deal with money, any of that stuff. And yeah, that all went tits up. Okay. <laughs> and it was very, I think two, one is because yeah, I, you end up having like thousands of bucks right. to pay all the things you should pay. And yeah. instead I didn't. Spend it on bikes or drink? on or? bikes, on drink, going out. And yeah, I mean, the uni campus had like three bars, three clubs even. Okay. So it was a bit, it was like going from one extreme to the other and i think an 18 year old me was not mature enough to handle that not many 18 year olds are mate to be honest and the learning style as well was different yeah. i know like you're not spoon fed when you're at a2 level but then you go and sit in uni and it was just one day to the next the way you learn was completely different it's in your hands all of a sudden completely isn't it i think you, yeah like it's the onus is on you to make the most of it Totally. If you don't turn up, that's they don't care. It's like no, not at all. your problem. But even the way that you took the information and you had to go for it and interpret it yourself, and yeah, it was just yeah. I'll I'll hold my hands up and say I screwed up big time. Uh -huh. So anyway, after just going into my second year there, decided I was like, right, this isn't for me. Yeah, owned up to me, mum and dad, that I'd made some mistakes with money. Moved back, worked in Halfords for a year. Yeah, to get some money together and like yeah in and the bike department or yeah in the bike yeah. cut yeah, yeah, that yeah. was fun met some nice people there yeah um uh but always had the intention of going back to uni okay. so uh, that wasn't me done yeah i was like no I'm, i, I want to get a degree want to get in in engineering stuff yeah yeah and my mum's friend was a careers advisor and so we sat down and we went through and we actually found in wrexham uni they were doing performance car technology so it's yeah. a mechanical engineering degree so yeah. you come out with a ma um, bachelor's of engineering mechanical engineering but everything was taken one step further. So you'd learn all the fundamentals of thermodynamics or fluid flow or yeah. all that stuff. And you'd apply it to race cars. That's so either cool. through structures of race cars, yeah. uh, aerodynamic flow, yeah. how stuff goes in and out of engines and stuff like that. And so I was going that route. Yeah, Always had that passion for bikes though. Yeah, and that, But that was a close second if you will because okay. my profession at that point was cars yeah like for example one of the unis i applied to was coventry mm -hmm. and you could get in a in a position at rally art there as well for like yeah, a yeah. semester or something so it was always going to be about cars and then coming up to my end of the second year they were trying to like lead you into thinking about all right what do you start to choose for your final year project your mm -hmm. thesis and i think that's when i had the it was like the light bulb moment i was like i like bikes and i'm studying engineering and i still i was like i put the two together i was like i could do bike engineering <laughs> oh hang yeah, on, yeah it's common sense isn't it but like really good like light bulb moment but that was the first time for you that you'd thought that that was a potential route it'd always been like i like bikes but cars is yeah where, is where work is kind of thing. yeah it was like cars love them but that was the profession. Like yeah, that yeah. was the direction of where i was gonna go yeah. bikes i loved them like maybe even more because they're just they're amazing yeah but it always just had that thing of like that's the hobby in my head yeah, yeah. and i've done little projects like did replaceable derailleur hanger for the intense m1 with goldtech with bob at goldtech nice. and was messing around with some other things at like uni in wrexham but when i had the opportunity i was like or when i had that light bulb moment it was like okay this is now we're talking yeah i could get my teeth into this and so i decided to design a dh bike for two reasons one was 
love DH. Yeah. I thought it could be, let's have a go. Yeah. And second was that I could start to appreciate that you needed experience to get anywhere in the bike industry. In any industry, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's not, it, it's tough to get in when you've got a blank sheet of paper and you're just knocking on doors. So yeah. I was like, I wonder if this could stand as some sort of experience or set you apart from everyone else that's coming and knocking fresh out of uni and 100%. wants to get in the industry. Yeah. So set about that. Set, I didn't build it. We only had seven months to do everything, including okay. writing the thesis, which yeah. turned out to be like 20,000 words or something. Wow. I got really into it. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> really into it. Yeah. So went all the way through to a point where I had a design. I'd gone through one set of iterations with a little bit of FEA as much as I could figure out. Uh-huh. Which and is like a stress analysis technique to look at. Is this thing going to live, basically? Finite element analysis. Basically, yeah. 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 So it's a simulate, yeah. You could probably describe that a lot better than I could, I think, in fewer words. But yeah, simulate it inside a computer to yeah. see, emulate the real world to see if it's going to hold up or not. Yeah. And uh, yeah, ran it through the guys at Goldtech as well. So Dan Critchlow and Bob at Goldtech, they were still there and that was still going. So they yeah. gave me their thoughts. And so basically finished at a point where I thought, all right, now I could start to maybe cut some tubes and see about getting this thing made. Yeah. But yeah, that that was the start of figuring out bikes and how the hell them things work sat for ages like with managed to get a copy of solid like there's always a copy of dodge like software going around at any uni doesn't matter yeah, yeah. where you are we had solidworks okay so we had korea uh what was it called back then ptc ah lost it whatever it was before creo yeah. we used that uh pro engineer yeah we used that at uni and then which is your your design package right that's yeah you're building the models and exactly, everything in the 3d CAD models software, and CAD. yeah, yeah. Um, SolidWorks, which is a competitor to that, if you will, another another 3D software. Got a copy of that. First thing I did was try and model a shock. So I took the shock off my iron horse, (laughs) took all the measurements, figured out how you can do extrudes and cuts and stuff, then figured out how you do the spring. And and that was like a a Saturday, Sunday little thing to figure that out. So then I'd model. And yeah, just started to then go through all that. and do like the research of bicycles why are they 200 mil travel for dh bikes uh-huh. learn words about like what is anti-squat and like all these things and it's such uh it still is such a sparse environment of getting information yeah like there's yeah, nothing not out a textbook, there right if you again if you're like young and you can start to piece things together with a good head there's lots of stuff out there for motorcycles and mm-hmm. you can try and extract what you can for the stuff from motorcycles and twist and contort it to fit to bicycles yeah because they're very different in the way they're weighted ridden built yeah Yeah. but to do with just mountain bikes and like explaining them was no factual clear information no no peer-reviewed things no scientific nothing yeah there was maybe some bits and pieces in dirt from is it Luis Arias? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably murdered his surname. I apologize. Louis Arias, I think, is Arras. the pronunciation. Arras, I think I might be wrong. Yeah. So he's currently, a, or I think he's just left Cannondale, but he's done a lot of the recent Cannondale bikes. Yeah. And been and involved GT in the industry for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So he was doing back then K9. Yeah. So he's living in the UK. I had a set of his headset cups in my own horse. And so he wrote some bits and pieces about bicycle design which started to be like the only true stuff, mm-hmm. if you will, because it was like from a reputable source. Yeah. But trying to get hold of other stuff was just impossible. So set about badgering every single one with an email address I could find. <laughs> and the ones that like continually replied, there was Kevin Walsh from Evil. He replied a few times. He was yeah. helpful. 
Kyle from Transition nice was a really big help and Keith Scott from Banshee okay were two that I they helped out a lot they took the time to email to to say and what they wanted to answer the questions so look at silly drawn drawings of kinematics to see if they'll work or not Uh yeah that's ace so they helped out a bunch during my during writing my thesis so you just like effectively cold called them via email just dropped in like hey this is what i'm doing yeah like on any any website you can find info at or hello at whatever email address it is and just yeah created a a kind of generic email and just change the name yeah and just saying like can i ask some questions about bike design and development and yeah it's funny yeah i sent a lot like yeah, a lot but, yeah but those three helped out so it's lot. the smaller end of the brand scale i guess like the emails maybe at some of these bigger brands when you send it to info yeah, at might not get through to just anyone. disappear almost yeah. in a way like no one knows what to do with them no Whereas true you're getting maybe it's one person away from like kyle at transition for example yeah know, oh, let's just send this to kyle yeah, he might be interested owners, he? yeah so, yeah so he yeah no that was real nice of them they helped out a bunch yeah because yeah that's and still today the level of the amount of information whether it be like reputable or not about <laughs> bicycle development is terrible it's very limited yeah. yeah so no where are we now yeah so so you've, yeah. oh, you've done this project do you think that put you in good stead were you then like right i'm 100 i'm applying to the bike industry this is where yep. i want to go okay yeah no once i had that light bulb moment before my thesis i was like that's it yeah it would that was really then like a guiding light of i can put these two things together yeah and I can turn my hobby into my profession. I was like, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, 100%. For me, I, I didn't even, like, I never questioned it. It's yeah. like, that that's, makes perfect sense. Yeah. Never questioned it. Um, so who did you apply to then? Because you've, like, you've already built some level of relationship yeah. with a few people at Brands, I guess, from yeah. doing the thesis. But like, how did you approach trying to get a, a good job in the industry after uni? Same, just badgering them. Yeah. And at that point, I'd built together a bit of a... A resume. Okay. So put together a kind of CV if you want a resume, but also put it really biased towards bicycles and development. Yeah. Included my thesis and just geared it all around that in terms of wording and the look and stuff. Made a bunch of CDs as well. Came up to actually Fort William World Cup in, whoa, uh, 10, 2010, 2009, uh-huh. something like that. I think it was 2010 ish and handed them out to like loads of the brands that are here and stuff and yeah. most of the time you're handing it to someone in marketing or like events or something and yeah but it just literally like persevered yeah per- proper persevered and applied for well yeah cold called people by email applied for engineering jobs knowing that i didn't have the criteria that they needed uh-huh. but even applied for jobs that i knew were in the like design jobs yeah which i knew were not far away from bicycle development they would work the teams work together yeah and that's so you mean, when you say you mean like industrial design like yeah how the bike looks and exactly that yeah. side of it yeah, rather yeah. than the kinematics and the strength and yeah usually i'd say that you've got like your engineering department and your yeah. design department okay so then you for me i think you'd call it bike development mm-hmm. maybe we call it well, there's lots of like words we use in it but bike design yeah if you call it bike development you've yeah. got the engineering side of it you've got the design side of it you've maybe you've got the product management side of it as well that gets involved those teams get involved in development so but yeah that's actually how i ended up getting in the industry was applied for a design job at scott okay thinking "Ah, it's close maybe though maybe and fred who was the head of product design 
who I then went to Met because I ended up working there. Yeah. He ended up passing my CV on to Benoit, who was the head of engineering at Scott. Uh-huh. And Benoit reached out and said, we'd like to bring you over for an interview. They're in Switzerland, right? Yeah, they're in yeah. Switzerland. So, yeah, in Fribourg. So, not a million miles away from, like, just down the road from Bern, okay. the capital. Yeah. And, I, I mean, yeah, if you've done, like, a year and a half of working in Sainsbury's. So, this is what you did at uni. You were in Sainsbury's. Yeah, I, you need money, right? You yeah, need- yeah. So, Sainsbury's is a supermarket in the UK for anyone that doesn't live in the UK. Yeah, stacking you, shelves. You were literally stacking shelves. Yeah. That's pretty soul-destroying, eh? Like, Can be. Yeah. Got on booze, wines, and spirits, mate. That's okay, fair yeah. Enough. yeah. We started yeah. on drag goods. Simon Cooper was, yeah, me yeah. boss on drag goods. And I had the evening shifts. So, because uh, that was carried over from uni. Right. So I'd stopped working at Halfords, started okay. working at uh, Sainsbury's. So that carried on from like night part time work in the evenings at Sainsbury's while I was at uni yeah. to picking up more shifts. So you weren't tempted to try and find a non bike engineering job? Because that's the other route you could have potentially gone, I guess. But maybe, yeah. then, maybe then you'd have never ended up in the bike world. No, at that point, I thinking back, at no, it was just really single focus. focus yeah. yeah, yeah, it was just pushing hard for it. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. When I, once I put the bike and engineering together, I was like, I'm at, we're there. Yeah, and I if think I've got cars stack fell shelves off. for a year, then so be it. Yeah, yeah, and it was good. It brought in some funds, saved up money. Obviously, sort of riding bikes all the time as well. Then. Um, and yeah, no booze wines and spirits was good because it's a nice little department that yeah. helped out the lady Chris on there every evening. Nice. Pop over and see if she needed a hand. And then the Sainsbury's luckily like moved stores. They moved uh-huh. into a temporary store. And Cy Cooper asked me one night, he's like, what do you want to work on? It's like booze wines and spirits, please. <laughs> yeah. Bigger, Why is that the one? I don't know. It's just nice. Yeah. Nice group of people on there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was good. Fair play. Knew where all the wines were by country and stuff. It was, yeah. No, it was, I don't know why, actually thinking back, it's crazy. But <laughs> good department to work on if you ever go and work at Sainsbury's. Yeah. None Twitch, that's a good one. Chris is still there, actually. She's six. Amazing. She must be ready for retirement. She works harder than all the teenagers that come in. Yeah. It's incredible. That's so cool. But yeah, did that. And then as soon as I went out to Switzerland for an interview, got me best suit on. In fact, yeah, like different country different culture different languages figuring out the transport system yeah that was a bit wild was anyone else wearing a suit in your interview or just you uh there was just me and after i'd got the job spoke to some other guys who interviewed for other jobs around the same time they didn't wear suits yeah but i just figured you have to that's what you it's what you're kind of smart don't yeah you? it's what you're told you to wear do, a I suit you good yeah. yeah so well that anyway had a sit down with benoit uh i think wow this is some time ago this is 2010 as well Early 2011, apologies. Um, yeah, sat down with Benoit, the head of engineering, sat down, I think Joe, who was one of the more senior engineers there, so that's Joe Higgins, yeah, British guy. I think he popped in as well, and Pascal Pasky, who was the vice president, mm-hmm. he popped in as well during the interview. No pressure then. No, nah, mate, I was already like over my... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was in over my head already, like... Everyone was speaking French, like trying to figure my way around Fribourg in a city. Yeah, it was a bit, it was good. Um, and yeah, a few months went by and and gave him a nudge to see if they'd be what, what the answer was. Yeah. Like if they were, and he said, yeah. He was like, we'd love to hire you. Whoa. And I think at that point, actually, my mum realized that you can make a living out of bikes and it wasn't this silly hobby anymore. Okay. Yeah. 
No, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just think up until then, she'd just been dealing with patching me up every day. Yeah. Because I'd always crash. I yeah. crashed a lot as a kid. And so she was constantly like washing the dirt out of my clothes and like patching me up. And like bikes were just this obsession. Uh-huh. But it was never more than that. And then she saw how much I was going to get paid. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> all right. You're doing all right for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think I was the. Dad went to uni but didn't finish uni. Uh-huh. No one from my mum's side went to uni. So for their, that side of family, it's a big thing. Okay. Auntie went to uni. So it's, I, I guess it was a big thing that I'd gone through, got a degree. Yeah. And like got a, a, a nice job, like a good job that yeah. was related to your, engin- like your degree and you were going for yeah, it yeah. kind of thing. So that was really cool. And so, yeah, they were like right behind me. Fair play. So they came. With me, we did a trip out, flew to Zurich, went and checked out some houses and some flats and stuff and yeah. cruised around. Yeah. Dad driving the rental car, wrong side of the road, <laughs> clipping people's wingmans. Yeah. So went out to Freeburg, found some places to stay. Ended up actually staying Joe, the head of engineering now. He moved out of his old place, so I took his. Yeah. That's quite easy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Started a lineage of bike engineers from Scott living in the same apartment. Yeah. And yeah. And then just packed all my stuff up put it in a big lorry, like a moving lorry from yeah. a company. And yeah, went off to Switzerland. It's a pretty, I mean, potentially quite intimidating move, right? You're going into this huge bike company yeah. that I assume works in a foreign language a lot of the time or not? It's quite mixed. Okay. I'd say common language is English. Okay, fair. So that's helps. Where but, they are is yeah. French speaking. You yeah, go yeah. 20 minutes down the road is Swiss German. So yeah. it's quite multilingual. Okay. And like lots of the product management side of people were Swiss German at that time, still are. Mm-hmm. Engineering was a split of English and French. Yeah. And design was a lot of French people. Okay. So it was, yeah, pretty much common language was English. Yeah. It sounds like you feel like you were punching a bit above your weight when you turned up. Is that fair? I still do generally anyway. <laughs> I don't know why you're interviewing me, to be fair. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> I mate. I think I'm an idiot with access to CAD, as a very good <laughs> friend puts it about himself. But uh, yeah, no... It, I think Joe and Tim, who's another engineer at Scott, laughed because they said my eyes were just wide open for like three months. Yeah. I mean, like you go to the Alps, it's beautiful. Yeah. And everything was just like that wow thing. I was like, whoa, looking around the whole country. So they kept making fun of me that my eyes never <laughs> shut for like three months. But yeah, no, it's always, I don't know, like even at Goldtech, that feeling of, uh, um, it's a nice feeling, I think, but like that you don't know much. Mm-hmm. You get a bit humbled by someone else's knowledge, yeah. experience, yeah. ability to give that experience to you. Yeah. I like I don't know how to word it, but you feel like the little man, a sponge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna wanting say you just, to know. Yeah, just soak it all up. Yeah, right? wanting to know and wanting yeah. to learn. You don't feel like you're cocky and you know everything. No, complete opposite of that. Yeah. I've always felt like that. I still do. Yeah. Like in awe of other people's like experiences and stuff like we were at dinner with Martin White or just sat at the table with Martin Whiteley yesterday. I could just listen to him talk forever. <laughs> it's like amazing, eh? The stories and the experiences and the way that he talks about the knowledge of team management and ins and outs of the rules and coming changes. It's like, yeah, you just I feel like a little kid listening to like... Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I want to write all this down and remember every word. But that's so cool. Idea. How cool is it that you've been in the industry, what, now 10 years? That was 2011 I got the job. Yeah, so 12 years. Yeah. And you're still feeling like this little kid in this magical world. Like it's so cool, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You've not no. got desensitized to that and been like, oh yeah, like. No, I think is, if I ever did, now. I'd ask my wife and my best mate Basil to slap me. Because <laughs> I think if that goes, you screwed. Yeah, 
the enjoyment goes out of it at that point. I think. Yeah, if the enjoyment goes, if you start to get a big head on your shoulders yeah. and you don't feel you can learn anymore, yeah. self-proclaimed expert kind of thing, uh, yeah, I think that's always been cautious of that. Yeah. No, I love it. It's still bikes, isn't it? It's like... Yeah. It's all built around fun, isn't it? Yeah, we're just playing on bikes in the woods at the end of the yeah. day. It's like why we all do it. Yeah. It's not particularly... It shouldn't be too... We shouldn't take ourselves too seriously. Not at, at the all. The day, There's right? professionalism and that can go in and you can be good about it, but you can also not take yourself too seriously. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. No, I just try and keep that idea of, uh, yeah, I guess, kid in a sweet shop. Yeah. Like kid in this wonderland. Like idea, mindset, and just keen to learn, I think. Nice. But you can't off everybody. Yeah, there's a, it's a lot of knowledge, right? Yeah, yeah. Why does it about. treat everyone like they know something you don't? It's true, they do. Kind of idea. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, it's since so it's 12 years. It's wild. That's mad, eh? And yeah. how, did you do about six years at Scott? Yeah, just just uh, just before six years. So it's mm-hmm. 2011 to 2017. What sort of stuff were you involved in there? Did you kind of work your way through various different projects and levels within that engineering world? Yeah, so back when I started, the engineering team was quite small. Mm-hmm. It was Ben, was the head of engineering, and he also did some bicycle development as well, okay. not just all the managerial stuff. Yeah, uh, Joe Higgins, Tim Stevens, two British guys from the Isle of Wight, mm-hmm. like childhood friends. Yeah, They'd grown up, and Tim started about six months before me as well. So that was kind of cool. There was a little bit of an English group there yeah. already and humor and culture and kind of things there. Yeah. Um, Cyril Beaulieu, he was there as well, so a French engineer. So I think I was the fifth engineer on the team. Okay. It's a quite small team. Um, and everyone did everything in terms of we mixed between road and mountain bike mm-hmm. and urban projects. Okay. Ah, Mathieu Londres, sorry. There was another engineer there. Yeah. Another French engineer. So we mixed between genres of bikes, we mixed between materials of bikes, mm-hmm. and also you did everything. So concept to presentations. Mm-hmm to the media yeah and all the development and testing everything yeah you weren't designated one segment of development yeah. and i think that i really appreciate yeah so you see the whole spectrum yeah. of, of design from like yeah the drawing board all yeah. the way through manufacture launch yeah. job like in the automotive we call it job one plus 90 but like yeah. getting the thing out into the wild and dealing with any early issues yeah. and all that kind of stuff like, i i can appreciate that it's maybe more a jack of all trades master of none yeah compared to some brands i know where they uh-huh. do specialize yeah but i think given bikes and the way that they are a system you need that appreciation and understanding of mm-hmm. every step along the way yeah, yeah and even like actually writing presentations and going teaching people about what you've done and how you've laid up a carbon bike yeah. simply and well and efficiently also helps bolster your own knowledge and stuff. 100%. So I'm really thankful that we got the chance to do that, Scott, yeah. and could do everything all the way through. Yeah. Do you think working on products that are still bikes but are very, very different, like, I mean, an XC bike even is very different to a downhill bike, but especially when you get into road and urban, do you think what you learn in those areas is transferable do you think it helps improve you as like let's say a downhill bike designer for sure i mean like there's always transferable knowledge in terms of like maybe 3d modeling steps or uh-huh. factory communication or if you're looking at that grand scheme of things from like yeah. start to finish absolutely there's always transferable knowledge i think yeah maybe not necessarily in geometry and mm-hmm. stuff like certain points but yeah okay and if you approach like one of the projects i did that actually never went to production uh was a cyclocross bike okay so i got handed a cyclocross project once and i actually like don't ride cyclocross it's not my forte 
and but just jumped into it with the idea of all right let's approach this in a really analytical way and yeah research what's going on find out what the races are after where they're at there with the current bike where we uh-huh. can improve all that stuff and like yeah uh, fortunately probably for scott uh, another engineer joined on after midway through that project called rico yeah. and he rode a lot of cyclocross so okay in the end it's like well I'm, I'm not mad about you having the project at all it's like <laughs> you ride the stuff you'll probably ride the bike at the end of it so yeah but yeah no, that was fun. We did a, wow, a lot of projects, actually. Started with a little voltage hardtail. Okay. So that was dirt jump, pump yeah. track bike. Yeah. That was fun. Still got that bike. Relatively simple in the grand scheme? Uh, Geometry-wise, yeah. It was only one size. Uh-huh. Um, but we, it's kind of like a high-end dirt jump bike okay. made of aluminium. So yeah. you had the opportunity for, if you will, a little more design, a little mm-hmm. more creativity in construction. Yeah, Steel can be somewhat limiting in those dirt yeah, jump yeah. things. And they look clean and tidy, um, but somewhat samey-samey yeah. across all the dirt yeah, jump it's bikes. it's hard to differentiate from other brands, right? Um, and had great guidance from then. I'd met a guy called Ben Walker who works for the company. So he helped out a lot with things that I didn't know about what's going to work on head angles for the guys riding this in slope style courses, stuff like that. Um, and we also did a 24 inch version of that. So it started as a 26 inch bike. We did a 24 inch version with all the same forge parts, tubings, just cut them differently. Yeah. That was super cool, like little cruiser thing. Um, that was accompanied by five sizes of like a kid's voltage as well, like kids bike to school kind yeah. of thing that was fun as well um then at that point nino shota was racing a scale so that's the mm-hmm. hardtail cross-country bike yeah. composite bike and they'd done him a one-off medium size so they'd made a mold cut a mold for a medium size for him he gets quite a lot of priority at that company for fair yeah, yeah for yeah, good reasons to it. be honest yeah. yeah and my project was to take that m size and adapt it to production bike okay. so do all the other sizes of like all the 3d of the other sizes yeah and get that thing through production testing and out into the wild so that was huge entry into like yeah. a fair bit of surface modeling yeah and like clean try and clean surface modeling yeah, yeah. It's very different how you model a carbon frame to an aluminium can be yeah then did voltage free ride so that's like 190 mil travel 27.5 yeah free ride bike yeah. Still got a couple of those frames. <laughs> Might build one for me wife up. Nice. Um, and that was done hand in hand at the same time as the Gambler of that era came out. Okay. So the Gambler had already been around with that, like the green one with a floating link, sing, like high single pivot kind of vertical shock floating yeah. link system. And they were updating that to 27.5 as well. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. Again, worked with Ben Walker and start that was the foray into suspension mm-hmm. rear suspension kinematics and yeah. all the associated black magic <laughs> it's not black magic. Did, how um at that point did like reflecting back you're obviously starting to put your like degree thesis into context of like okay how well did i do that considering <laughs> you know what i knew then oh, now yeah. that i'm with these like you know, the magicians, the people that have been doing this day in, day out. Like, how yeah. did you feel that compared once you started stepping into it in the, you know, actually within the industry? Uh, looking back on that even now, it's like I opened it up the other day and was like, Ooh, <laughs> wow. I, in some respects, I was like, I don't know. It feels like I was looking back on someone else. It's really hard to describe, but in some ways a little bit proud because I just taught myself solid works at home in my bedroom and managed to model a whole frame and then figure out rudimentary fea simulation and, and go from there 
Yeah, fair play. And I even saw the progress that I'd made through my thesis in how I 3D modeled, okay. like the, the quality of my modeling and stuff. Yeah. But then looking back, you're like, you know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You've got no idea about like suspension kinematics and how they all interact or how to construct stuff or, yeah. Kind of like, it's really conflicting. It's like, wow, you did all that? And then, oh, yeah, you did all that. Oh, Christ. But also, I guess in that, even in the relatively short time period between you writing the thesis and when you started working on suspension at at Scott, the industry, the understanding, the geometries, like everything has moved yeah. probably for the last 15 years at a hell of a pace. Well, maybe for longer than that, but there's yeah. been a big progression in it. I think at the, everyone in the industry's understanding of oh, for sure. kinematic and geometry and how everything interacts and what riders actually need. Like, like what we're riding bicycle, now is yeah. so much better, more appropriate. Yeah. than what we had back then no, and, and in suspension agree. i guess you can argue that we needed the technology to progress but in kinematic and geometry is nothing there would be nothing stopping us doing that 20 years ago no. it's just that we've had to learn and under, understand the interactions i guess to get to where we are i might end up talking about ben walker a lot but i think he this is like 2011 i joined scott and they had already got the gambler then and like the big gas tank gambler yeah. like that was a single pivot looked like a horse pivot kind mm -hmm. of like but it was a single pivot and uh they had voltage free ride and they so he he's quite involved with like the progressive bikes that they call it scott so sort of yeah. gravity oriented stuff and that's where i ride the most yeah. that's what i ride that's what i enjoy riding so ended up working with him luckily on a few projects and um, riding and spending a lot of time with him. So I think people back then had the knowledge of feelings to numbers, numbers to feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a good understanding of already at that time what was working in terms of bike shapes, geometry yeah. and fit and all that stuff, kinematics relative to what suspension was available, Yeah, what like how good the suspension was mm -hmm. at that time. So, but I think it all, everything advances together. So as suspension got better, kinematics got better, or changed, shall we say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe in some respects. So you feel like the suspension, pro the progression in suspension technology has enabled better kinematic trade-offs. Would that be a fair summary? Like you mm. couldn't do, you had a kinematic you might have wanted 10 years ago, but the suspension to make that work didn't exist. Yeah, maybe there was, and maybe they didn't, they couldn't figure out why it didn't work because I don't know, maybe the shocks blew up or the frame fell apart or it's, there's so many factors in a bike. Like it's still fascinating how many, like you look at a G Milner's like dream build mm -hmm. and he always does that photo where it's laid out. Right. It's so many parts. You went into like individual bolts and nuts and shim. Yeah. The bombs, but the bill lot. of materials is big, right? There's yeah. a lot of parts. And I think every single part of that is kind of advanced more or less together okay it's like bearings or th small things like that and yeah. understanding how to construct good hardware at pivots and stuff yeah, has yeah. advanced while the shocks have advanced and like you were always like suspension and bike manufacturers are working together uh -huh. and talking a lot so yeah i think maybe not so much one advanced and pulled the other one forward but okay. definitely like within a zone everything kind of yeah, advanced yeah. together it feels like yeah but i think we had yeah and it's all relative to the time isn't it like now the bike shape is very different to 2011. Like my wife is riding a bigger bike now mm -hmm. than I was riding in 2011. Yeah. So like back then a, a large gambler was like 445 reach. Yeah. And now she, her, her medium like enduro bike is 455. 
and that works yeah and it works fine and like that's also following the the ability of your average joe if you will yeah which okay. i think is all I, I i would say is also increased yeah yeah at least in like a, a, a core-ish mountain biking sense yeah you always got beginners coming in and so on but i generally feel like most people's riding abilities is actually higher pretty good yeah, at okay. least when you go to the bike parks so or you go riding around switzerland or france and yeah. you see what people are doing and just these people that come out for two-week holidays yeah relative to what i was able to do <laughs> <laughs> how much of that is ago. the bike and how much of that is like a skill progression do you think like the same again i think yeah maybe. go hand in hand kind of yeah thing. like the things get better you yeah. can push them harder like the bikes got better you can yeah. push them harder with more safety more confidence more comfort yeah. the trails got built better maintained yeah. better more, more accessible like, yeah, yeah yeah it all like evolves together doesn't yeah. it yeah yeah like snowballs all together i think yeah super cool eh? yeah yeah so six years ish just under at scott yeah what uh what drove the move away from scott uh some tough times in life uh-huh um by then towards the end of my tenure at scott i'd been given or well, gifted by that point i the gambler's the premier project at scott yeah that's the dh bike it's the race bike the doors it opens in terms of what you can work with is super cool and we did a really good job on the voltage free ride uh-huh. and although we laughingly called it the red-headed stepchild <laughs> um no uh so i actually got gifted the gambler project so this would be actually the start of the current gambler that's being ridden and raced now okay so worked on that actually for nine months and we did actually a prototype that nobody's really seen so everyone saw the prototype that actually is the old mainframe uh-huh. so single pivot mainframe there was actually two prototypes before that a medium and a large that were four bar layout had yeah. loads of things in there so we actually did yeah so did a bunch of work on that but that was a dream project at the start and myself and ben walker mm-hmm. who's now well is a very good friend was back then yeah. could see a very clear lineage of decisions to get to the best downhill bike in the world yeah very like clear vision like really cool and at each decision we knew that we would arrive assess gather the best information and make the best decision possible yeah and it was this straight line of like decisions to get there and then the design department the guy who was involved in helping the design of the bike was uh hard to work with <laughs> not not on the same page <laughs> no uh difficult People are different anyway. That's mm-hmm. always going to be the case. And and that can bring value, right? Everyone has different perspectives and yeah. ideas and that can be a good thing. Can be. Yeah. I think it. in some cases it, it can definitely work together. In some cases it can't. Mm-hmm. And I think um, his, the ideas of his, his ideas of what a downhill bike should be were different mm-hmm. and not lining up with ours from the engineering more technical side nor lining up with the project's direction and concept yeah and also it's just hard to work with (laughs) he's just a bit of a weird guy sorry mate um (laughs) and similar things happened on the project management side of it as well okay and it went from a dream project that was this beautiful path that you could we could both see to a lot more time spent Handholding and trying to figure out ways to make people feel like they'd made the decision. Yeah. 
while guiding them into what you knew would be the best for the bike. Yeah. So, which isn't bike engineering. It takes a lot of energy. It's and politics. It yeah. Kicks the taste out of your mouth. And yeah. Scott, as I, I thank Scott and the people there so much. I should say that first before I say that it's a big company. Yeah. And there's a corporate nature. Yeah. And I started to realize that that was maybe not my calling. Okay. That if you don't like the direction the ship's sailing in, get off the ship. Get off the ship. Um, it's not an easy call, there, mate. Like, no, and there were some other red flags that I drove past. I lost all my hair through stress, and jeez, man. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, broke up with a girlfriend, and yeah. like lots of other personal things. Like, I think also, I saw something the other day that it was people on average take, was it between ten and eleven years to seek help for depression? Wow, what since they've got it, like yeah, proper, yeah. proper. Yeah, yeah clinical depression so in that respect it's the idea that people can go driving past the guy holding a red flag for a long time before yeah. shit happens to make you like pump the brakes and be like wait i, I need to, I need to do something yeah, yeah. so yeah when my hair started to come out i was like all right this is shit yes yeah, <laughs> drastic, right. drastic measures need to come back so yeah. i made the very difficult decision to sit down with benoit who has always at my whole time at scott been there yeah there for me and i could all i really appreciate that i had a very good communication with him mm -hmm. and could sit down with him and say like yo this I, i'd like to leave and he even kindly offered me a six month sabbatical okay nice. and said you'd have a job here when you came back yeah. and i thought about it and i even i said kindly i was like kindly no yeah i think if i leave with no responsibility i think that's the best so okay. i decided to pack my bags and by that time, I got a list on my fridge of places to visit with my bike that was just getting longer and longer and longer. So I was like, all right, let's do two things in one Siren. Yeah. Try and be a bit more chill in life and like rein it back in a bit, <laughs> see what's going on with my hair. Um, <laughs> see if we can get this back. See if we can, like, yeah, it, it packed its bags and like fucked off. So <laughs> I was like, all right, maybe we can, uh, <laughs> we can do the same and go and find out where it's living. But uh, yeah, no, so bought a van Yeah. or a few months prior to that, I bought like a transporter, VW transporter, yeah. nice van, uh, kitted that out, insulated it, carpeted it, put a bed in it, lights, everything, and decided to go traveling with my bikes. Awesome. Yeah. And that was the start of that little trip. So yeah, for a year and a half, ended up, so did one big loop of Europe like through like the coastlines of Europe all the yeah. way from like the leg of Italy, France, Spain, Portugal, back through Spain, uh, Pyrenees, back to Switzerland. Did one up to, um, did a race in La Brest with some friends. Yeah. Came up to UK for a month and did like all the way from Torridon down to Surrey Hills. That oh, was... Oh man, that's cool. That was eye-opening to yeah. a country that I'd lived in. I'm from and like what this country is like. Yeah. It was mind-blowingly beautiful. Yeah. The north of Scotland is beautiful. Yeah, Torridon's and the, incredible. Yeah, it? the riding's amazing. Yeah. Should have packed more sandwiches on that trip, but because <laughs> um, I'd always look on trail forks and pick the biggest route. <laughs> Went out for a pedal. It was 11 hours later. It was so, I had one point on that ride where it was sort of like Torridon, big Torridon loop or whatever. Can't remember how many K, but it was like three big mountain passes. Yeah. And at one, I'd done the first mountain pass and it was super cool. And it's typical Scottish. It's great. 
bit cold, but it wasn't, it wasn't raining. I got back to a road and I had the choice of going left and carrying on the loop. And if I did that, that was the next two mountain passes. There wasn't really much turning back or going right down to the van. And I knew that there was a storm coming <laughs> and I looked left and I looked right and I looked right and there's a storm. I could see it down the road and I always do this, always do this. And I was like, be right. It'll go, it'll move. <laughs> be all right. <laughs> like four hours later, shivering up a mountain <laughs> waiting for the blue little gps dot to move on trail forks realizing it's not moving because i've started to climb up the wrong path oh man <laughs> had to hike around the front of the mountain and one of three things happened you either slipped on wet grass <laughs> you either slipped on wet rock or you went up to your knee in a bog yeah sounds about right hike that round rode the trail down fingers just did not work stripped off got back in the van ate some mns sandwiches <laughs> Still remember that ride. So good. Char how, character building. Yeah. How long did it take you to feel like yourself again? Because obviously it sounds like you got yourself into a relatively bad place, like yeah. from a mental health perspective and like the stress and what that does to your body yeah. and, you know, the way your body's functioning. How long did it take, do you think, to, to kind of come back to being proper down again? Um, so I kicked off in April 2017. Probably... Um, when I got married, which is two years ago. <laughs> okay. Fair play, man. <laughs> Turns out, actually, getting married made me most of... Uh, since... Yeah, I had no hair. So, uh -huh. like, all gone. And really, it didn't grow at all. Right. So, there was no growing. Yeah. The doctor said, he was he was like, you're very lucky. Lovely Italian guy was like, you're very lucky. It's not scarring. Because some alopecia, it can scar and the uh, hair will okay. never grow back. Yeah. Didn't have that. Yeah. So, it had all just fallen out. So, there was always that hope that Maybe one day yeah. it'll come back. And throughout the whole time traveling and all that, had no hair, very self-conscious, but started to come more to terms with that's it. Yeah. This is it. This yeah. is, you got to work with what you got. Yeah. So I'm going yeah. with it. Took a long time now. But then when I met my wife, Nadine, back in 2018 and started to get more comfortable in a relationship with her. Yeah. And then, yeah, that actually she still, it still says it's surprising that the hair grew back and ah. so now like compared to how it was yeah it's yeah and wow I, yeah so it's, it's the love of a good woman that took it there you go to turn it around eh? yeah behind every man is a great woman oh for sure kind of idea so yeah yeah no probably it wasn't like a turning point but i guess you get better day by day if you will or more like comfortable in your yeah. own skin again yeah and yeah i think around Maybe 2019. Yeah. Big, started big to chunk like, of time, eh? You really be comfy. Yeah. Like things like not wearing hats around when other people come in the house and stuff okay. like that. Yeah, and yeah. just like, yeah. No, I spent a long time trying to hide, if you will. Yeah. Hated my appearance. Uh -huh. So you're always like hat on. Swimming was terrible. Always wore a helmet. Yeah. Like in the odd occasions where you had to take it off. Like I remember one time I went riding in Malini on my little trip and I asked Ben, Walker, mate, yeah. I was like, who'd you go shuttling with when you're in San Remo? Yeah. And he went, oh, um, text Manuel Ducci. Yeah. I was like, sweet, kind of heard that name. He's like, Italian enduro guy. Yeah. Messaged him. He's like, no worries, no worries. We pick you up at 8.30. So I was like thinking, all right, I'll get there for 8.30, but you're Italian. So <laughs> yeah, it'd be like 9, 9.15, yeah. yeah. Nine rocks up, two vans pull up, and he goes, you're in the second van. He puts my bike on, opened the door. Cecile Ravenel sat there, <laughs> and the whole of the Fraju Cycling Club <laughs> Spent the whole day letting them go first because it's pretty like 
kids enjoy bikes Malini good trails like it was literally like lighting a firework off at the start of a trail <laughs> watching it like snake off aggressively and explode yeah dust the kid down put him back on his bike and let him go amazing super good day yeah but I still remember like it was full faces because Shetland yeah went to lunch in a lovely little place in the mountains I was like fuck I've left my hat in the other van and little moments like yeah. that can spoil your day you're like shit so I had to take my helmet off and you oh I still remember the feeling of like no one is. That's the ironic thing. But it's how you but feel. But you feel everyone's yeah, looking yeah, at you, yeah, yeah. judging you. It's yeah. a horrible feeling. So little memories like that I've still got, but now I couldn't care. Ah, it's, it, they, it sometimes you care a bit more, sometimes yeah. you care a bit less. It's, it's personal appearance, isn't it? So, yeah, totally. Everyone's got something that they're like yeah. that about, I think. Like. But generally, you're all right. Yeah. Good. Still joke with Ben that you should give me a stupid haircut. <laughs> He's the barber of the brave. So... <laughs> Yeah. amazing when did you feel like you were ready to like tackle work again then um i wanna so after i've done my europe trip after i've done a trip in uk i also spent the summer in switzerland because uh-huh. switzerland's quite central in europe got a lot of good riding around yeah there. still had my place in switzerland just kept that a very good friend of mine adam beach is living in vancouver so he married a girl from pei prince okay. edward island they live in vancouver um been out and seen him loads and 2017 went out and visited him again uh-huh. so stayed riding around vancouver squamish whistler all that stuff yeah and i still remember a day pedaling around in squamish when again a little bit of a light bulb moment was like i could do bike engineering myself i never wanted to get out of the industry that okay. was never the thing i was never like i'm done with bikes I'm yeah never, you haven't lost that love no yeah, yeah. no 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 I think if that started to ever slightly, or yes, there'd be drastic measures taken again. But um, no, so riding around in Squamish suddenly had the idea of like, I could be self-employed and like freelance as a bike engineer. And that kind of realization that you like, that must happen, that does happen. Seen a bit of Scott, like you can make a living out of that. So thought, right. And started to put more like brain power into that idea. Uh-huh. How would you do it? How would you set it up? All that kind of things and so on. Clients and everything there. And then 2018, I arrived. It was actually during the last bit of my trip, went to New Zealand for mm-hmm. four and a half months. And by that time, I was like, right, I need to, my trip, I knew it was kind of coming to an end around that, the end of that. So yeah. that would be April, May time. 2018 okay yeah we're starting to gear up and say like okay i need to let's get this going not like i need to but let, let's get this going let's get engineering self-employed going and we sat in nelson met a lovely couple tom and cheryl haltmeyer mm-hmm. so he's actually from steffisburg which is where my wife's from okay ironically so yeah. a swiss guy married to an australian lady and they were so hospitable like Need, I think everyone in ever needs to take a bit of like New Zealand hospitality and apply it to everyone else. Yeah. You could have just met them in a pub and just started talking and they will literally like offer you their house keys to just stay as you want. Amazing. It's so good. Yeah. They let me stay, parked the van, slept there. We just chat. Yeah. And every time I'd go there, Tom's favorite um, brewery, lots of micro brews in New Zealand, mm-hmm. very good brews. Yeah. It was called Garage Project in Wellington. Ah, okay. So I'd always stop through, grab him a pack of, is it Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, or a bunch of like, a uh, bunch of little six, they had little tinnies. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful little beers. So I always pack, get a set of them. 
one night sitting down and I was been chatting to them about this idea of setting up a consultancy slash going freelance and they were well behind it like kind of egging you on if you will yeah. helping you out yeah and Cheryl worked at a printers so like a publishing company and I drew up a design for a business card and got a hundred printed <laughs> by their really good friend I think it's Alan who oh, he's gonna yeah it was Alan who also a mountain biker yeah. just top bloke top kiwi and he printed them out for free and so i went to crankworks handing them out so i was starting to like try and put the, yeah. the word out a little I'm bit i'm doing this so this is garage bike project right by then with the business cards it was just uh dan roberts yeah so i was i hadn't thought of a kind okay. of corporate side of things yet. yeah so um yeah just started doing that and then that one night we were sat down drinking the beer and still a lovely bit sat there looking at the can thinking and we were trying to think of names and tom went you should call it bike garage project it's like no garage bike project <laughs> and i was like it since then that's been the name yeah and ironically if we do there's a joke because uh, a friend of my wife's miri she uh misheard it and so if we do good projects it's garage bike projects but if we do bad projects it's garbage bike projects <laughs> nice so yeah that was the start of garage bike project yeah. or just me being a freelance engineer nice what was your first paid piece of work as a freelancer <laughs> ironically scott project was it <laughs> no way yeah um scott contacted me about i i chatted to them they knew what i was doing i still got a lot of friends at scott yeah and Joe, who was then, uh, who then became head of, Mount, uh, he was head of mountain bike, then over to head of engineering. Uh -huh. uh, he contacted me about a kids bike project. Oh, okay. Which actually still love. Yeah. Great, great project. So a lot of brands in the industry had made kids bikes, bit rough around the edges to mm -hmm. kind of put them out and test the water and see how that market reacts. Yeah. Turns out really good. So these second generation, if you will, of kids' bikes uh, got a lot of engineering time put into them, nice. not just in terms of like nice spec and yeah. stuff like that, which is where you can help kids' bikes out a lot, but the design of them. So the engineering and the suspension, the fit, the geometry, the mm -hmm. construction of it, the yeah. adjustability and all that stuff. So we had the project called the Mini Ransom, which their whole like kids' bike thing is called Future Pro. Okay. Um, so it's a future pro ransom, but we call it the mini ransom. Yeah. And so we went through that and started rather than the concept was like the mom and dad have got a, a ransom mm -hmm. and want to go riding with the kid. And so instead of just take the ransom and shrink it down, we took that concept yeah, yeah. and the layout of the ransom, if you will, because you can still do a lot within a certain layout Yeah. and started from the ground up. Okay. What size riders? How big are they? Where's their center of gravity? Yeah. Yeah. Um, also like their weights for like things like dropper posts and stuff. Yeah. Um, different wheel sizes, fitting the geometry in, knowing how much they weigh to know what to do with the kinematics to mm -hmm. like maybe sure, make sure that the shocks aren't with like next to no PSI. Yeah. And if they're a regular kind of normal person PSI, maybe you don't need to use different dampening and stuff like that. Okay. So try to like really think at based around a kid yeah, yeah. and how a kid would ride a bike. And yeah, that was my first freelance project. Were you not? Were you nervous to go back to working with Scott? Because obviously, there's that connection between stress and Scott that is the reason that you stepped away from it. Was there a, a worry going back? No. Okay. I think Ben would say as well, my friend, that I left on very good terms. Yeah. 
he said he was impressed at how well I left. Like there was no bridges burned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even with the people that maybe played a part in that me leaving, as bad as that sounds, if you will. Yeah. No, there's okay. still like good, still can chat with them all, and yeah, it's yeah. fine. Like left on really good terms. So no, I think I was just excited because it was like the first project that you're going to get paid yeah, a yeah. good amount, yeah. like freelance for, and yeah, it's like cool. proof concept. This thing's working. Yeah. And yeah, that was a really fun project. I still remember the day when I had a meeting on the Monday and by that time I'd moved into Champery in Switzerland uh -huh. and was out riding and the Leger bike club was out riding as well. And so there was like this, this line of kids on like 20 inch commensals or 24 inch bike or a 26 inch and they were going down the access track in Champery. Yeah. And like anyone who's ridden in Champery knows that before you get to the chance to ride the World Cup track, you ride the access track. And if you struggle on the access track, the rest of the trails are probably not for you. Okay. And these kids were hooning. <laughs> I was like, all I could think about was like, this bike's going to get ridden like that. So first thing in the meeting, we had our little agenda of things to go through. I was like, can we just revisit things like the head angle, please? I was like, can we make it a bit slacker? And, yeah. and told them the story and everything. And they were like, yeah, yeah, nice. right. I was like, wow, this is also quite cool. Like, yeah, that's amazing. Because eh? as a consultant as well, and even as an engineer in a team of development people working, you have to like sometimes put forward your argument. And sometimes that's a skill or art, art form, oh, if you will, in how absolutely. you yeah. get across the information and persuade. Or, yeah, bring people with you. Yeah. yeah. So I was quite happy with the little, little victories like that. That's ace. That's cool as well, because you're like, you're facilitating the next generation. Like the kids that are, you know, smashing juniors and then coming up into yeah. elites now are people that have had the opportunity to ride these mint kids bikes that yeah. when we were little just didn't exist. No, right? it's amazing. They're so nice. And I see them. There's a bunch of shops in town that were using them as rental bikes. There's tons I've seen out where people have bought them. Yeah. And friends like Ben, who still works at Scott, we're talking about him a lot again. Mm -hmm. uh, ben also sponsors athletes now, if you will, whatever you want to call it, sponsors kids yeah. who actually ride on that bike. So little Emmerich from the Nine Le Nufru, yeah, he uh, rides that bike like better than I can now. And he's, I think, 11 or something. Or that's 12. so cool. So yeah, it's like, that's, I think that's the best part about bike engineering. Yeah is there's many fast inside engineering is like one facet of all the possible professions in the world yeah inside that you've got a thread of bike engineering and while we always come back to this like f1 if you will being an engineer in there and stuff you don't get to go and drive an f1 car at the weekend nope not many people do and you can develop dh bikes and go and rag the living daylights out of them at the weekend and stare at them while they have a beer and that is <laughs> the best part of bike engineering by far yeah is riding what you do. It's accessible. Yeah, yeah, so good. And so seeing the bikes out in the wild, it must be weird because if like a guy comes up to a kid and high fives them for no reason and then my <laughs> wife's like, he designed that. And the kid's like, cool. <laughs> and the dad's like, what? what's going on? Like, But you're just so stoked to see like the bikes out there and like, and getting ridden. And yeah. by all accounts, it's been received really well. It rides really well. Obviously, I can't ride it. I stand on it and I bottom it out. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it been received super well. Wicked. And I think it proved that there is space for high-end, well-built, well-thought-out yeah. kids' bikes. Yeah, completely. In all disciplines of like kids riding. Yeah. 
and we put two wheel sizes in it as well and like adapted it between 24 and 26 so mm -hmm. it had that kind of grow with a kid or even the hand-me-down kind of aspect of like families and stuff so yeah tried to build stuff in there as well and nice work man yes that was a fun project That's and cool. by that time i'd like got lots more ideas or influences from other people and brands and stuff and got them in there as well yeah so it was like lots of really cool victories it was an enormous stamp of approval that actually the path i'd chosen and how i choose to do my work mm -hmm. how i choose to do this and how i choose to be creative and stuff was efficient yeah because i start to keep a log of all the hours and note down what i did during the day and so on to yeah. kind of build a idea of how long things take yeah. because i still find quoting one of the hardest yeah, things selling your services and you need to know don't you yeah, yeah. so I, I keep a very good track of what i do and mm -hmm. i think I estimate it took 25% the time to develop that bike. Granted, one frame yeah. and all that stuff relative to a lot of other projects that Scott would be multiple frame sizes. and yeah. But trying like for like, I think it was about a quarter of the time. Right. Because I could sit down for like, some of the stints were like 11 hours. Of course, you'd eat, you'd go to the loo, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. But like you were in an efficient work zone and like really productive yeah. at that high peak of efficiency for such a time. And you could, if you did that like day after day after day or or even like three days of that and two days of like six hours spread out with a ride and you just like flew through the work. Yeah. Like putting the 3D of the frame together and cause you knew, cause by then I had a good understanding of what's needed yeah. in terms of like we said, like changing the kinematics for a kid's center of gravity height and their weight. Yeah. yeah. It was like, well, I know what I need to do. I know what I need to do in the leverage ratio. I know what I need to do in the anti-squat. I know, and you, so it was just like this, like we talked about before, this beautiful path of like yeah. how you get through from start to the best bike possible. And yeah. It was like, all right, this works. Let's just go. I'm having it. Yeah. This system, this create, like working, living in Champagne in the mountains and like using that as a, a unique selling point. It was like, this is working. Yeah. There's possibility to do this. So very nice. Man. Yeah. And then like in a sort of parallel to that, you've started doing stuff with pink bike what, yeah what was the did they approach you did you approach them what was the where did that like uh collaboration come from because you're not you've not gone down you're not a journalist right or you haven't been up until that point i don't know if any of them are journalists <laughs> <laughs> well, no i'll take that back I, I, since there's that i've met a lot of people that are journalists but a lot of them trained. have come from a you know a background of being passionate about this stuff yeah and loving trying things yeah yeah and then they've no, worked totally. on the writing element of exactly it, right? no agreed yeah they've yeah, not yeah. necessarily gone and studied journalism no no they've, studied, they've effectively studied bikes yeah and then worked out how to write about it exactly yeah i don't know if there's a job title for that i don't know editor yeah. <laughs> i don't know yeah uh no uh back to your question uh, I approached Pink Bike, so I'd, I think anyone in the bike industry or fans of bikes, you, you look at the media and bike websites and so on for your information about new stuff and what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I had the idea that there was maybe this spawned from when I was doing my thesis and stuff that I couldn't find information out there. That there was a lack of technical information out there. Yeah. And while lots is really well written, really well reported and put together stuff, there was a big lack of technical stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just saw a gaping hole in the market that someone could fill. Yeah. And I was like, well, let's have a go. So I approached Pink Bike. Um, I'd also talked to Ben, my friend, about that. And he'd actually spoken at Crankwork. He was like, I love the idea. 
Ben's been a, a really good friend and a great guide. And he took that idea with him one year to Crankworks Whistler. Mm -hmm. I think that was 18 as well. And he sat down with Carl Burke, Burkerat, Burkerat? Yeah, like Burke. the main man Big man, Pink Bike. Yeah. Big man, Pink Bike. Yeah. Murdered his surname. Carl, <laughs> just keep it at that. Simple. Um, and he also ran it through there. And Carl liked the idea as well. Mm -hmm. So I had the kind of like approval of Ben that this was a good idea. Carl had said like, yeah, let's go for this. And yeah, we got in touch with Brian Park. Yeah. And briefed him through the ideas of what I had and how I could bring value to Pink Bike. And that also it was complimentary and that working for the media gives you access to more bikes. Mm -hmm. More bikes gives you more ride time on different things, different ideas and so on, which complements you as an engineer, which further helps the media side of things. It's yep. all like a big, yeah, yeah. big happy circle. And so, yeah, that started with a, what was it? We did a suspension analysis on a demo initially, uh -huh. um, just to have a little idea of that. That was where that whole behind the numbers thing came from. Um, so what, there was one on a demo done very early on just to see the kind of groundwork on there and yeah. if that idea could work. Um, but the first thing was a review on a DT Swiss fork. Okay. Suspension fork. Yeah. And that was, yeah, got introduced to Matt Casimir and those guys. And yeah, started working for them. Actually turned down the chance to go out for a field tri trip. So they were doing those kind of group test field yeah, trips yeah. in Squamish, Pemberton, that kind of Cedar Sky corridor. Yeah. And I had the Scott project going at that time. And I needed to keep cracking on that. And Brian yeah. was keen to like, he came over and I, I managed to get him to come over to Champry and ride in Champry Morjan and see the area and we ride together and him, him have an idea of what's going on and where I'm going to be writing about yeah. and all that kind of relevance. And yeah, he was like, I oh, should come out in a few weeks for that. I was like, ah, I had to make difficult decisions. Like, I can't. Yeah, it's a tricky call, yeah. It's two weeks out of that and then yeah, I can't like suddenly just bugger off for two weeks to, <laughs> as much as I want to. Yeah. So yeah, that... Uh, did the fork review for them and it, it's just gone on from there. Yeah. And tried to do lots of the same articles that the other editors do in terms of reviews or mm -hmm. first rides or first looks and all that stuff, but always approach it with a just different view. I never really looked at what anyone else was doing. So say if okay. you went to a product launch, um, I wasn't too concerned about checking in with everyone else and what, and what they felt. Mm -hmm. I was just like, keep my head down, do my thing, analyze it in the way that I know yeah. and write about it in a way that if I was sat on the other side of the screen reading it, I'd have all the information that I wanted yeah. and be like, that is all the information for me to make the best decision and try and do it as unbiased as possibly because there's so many people that have quite big agendas in the industry that they push. It's not necessarily an agenda always, I think. It's like, a, it is a bias. It's something yeah, that they right. strongly believe because of, who they are or how they're built or how they True, ride. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure it's always like a gender always feels kind of political and like <laughs> charged. And yeah. Whereas I think some of it is just, they probably don't even realize they have these biases. Maybe. Yeah. Like, yeah. All right. Yeah. That's, that's a fair point. Yeah. Maybe it is more a bias and some of them are a lot stronger. Like, cause as you say, yeah, they haven't realized they've been shouting about it for so long. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, try, always tried to remove that from it. Yeah. I don't generally think I have too many strong biases, uh -huh. if you per se, but always try to like not be in that 
that point of view and try and imagine that if I was on the other side of the screen, I'd be happy with reading that article Keep it from neutral. the yeah. position that I'm in, knowing yeah. technical stuff and like stuff like that. So be entertained, feel I've got like my money's worth, that it's a full article covering yeah. all the points and stuff, whether that be the technical details about it or the subjective ride feeling stuff as well. Yeah, so yeah. always just kind of, and even now, like, don't tend to look so much at what other people write about the same products we've reviewed. Uh-huh. A little bit. Yeah. Like, I, f- I find it interesting. Sometimes it's cool to go off, and if you know that person well, and you know their writing style, their preferences, how they set things up, what they like, what they don't like. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, I'll go off and have a look, because you yeah. kind of know the full picture of that person uh-huh. writing that review, if yeah. you will. Are but, there certain people that you, like respect or trust more than others maybe that you'll be like ah it's that person that's reviewed it i want to go and see what they've got to say or is it more that you understand them and you know how they're programmed and what they're yeah i think more the second half is more that i can understand that because everyone's got biases whether they're strong or weak and preferences and the way that they ride the places that they ride Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's not communicated in the reviews then that thing isn't clear to see or pe- not everyone knows it. So if you know it, you can then kind of sometimes fill in the gaps or yeah, yeah. read in between the lines where they say they liked something or didn't like something and try and, you can I put don't know. In the because. Yeah, yeah, like play a bit of Sherlock Holmes kind yeah. of behind the scenes and, and go in with a bit more of a magnifying glass. Yeah. A bit more of that, I think. Okay. Just like to understand the whole picture. That like yeah. that idea there of a fly on a wall in all the meetings and understanding the reasons why yeah. things are the way they are. Yeah, yeah. Have I you, find that fascinating. Have you enjoyed the, let's call it journalism yeah have you enjoyed that side of things it's very different totally yeah yeah i don't think i don't know where it came from the writing thing and i still don't think i write particularly well at all but can just no i really do enjoy it nice and i do enjoy it for the people that i've met the places that i've gone the bikes and components that i've got to ridden yeah like got the chance to ride and stuff and that like breadth of it i think just really helps you as an engineer you have to go and ride other people's things to have a reference of what's where you are what your ideas are your theories your what what things feel like when you go and ride them yeah like the other day riding nico's bike it's like 80.8 seat angle and it was amazing to go and actually feel what that seat angle (laughs) feels like and it's pros and it's cons where it feels good like riding home and how much weight you had on your hands on the flat pavement versus Uh like riding backwards up a trail yeah and how it gripped like it's that kind of idea yeah i sense. still love putting that feeling to numbers and numbers yeah, to yeah. feelings thing and we let you loose in uh ep3 as well for the, yeah, the misspent brave project people. and gave you a pretty big word count yeah that was again very different from doing a review or writing for a website no. right how was that a dream come true because if you spend <laughs> your whole childhood reading dirt it feels like i don't know how you describe it I think James and Ben described it best in one of your podcasts. It's just, oh, I still can't remember what it was, but they do a better job. But for me, it feels like dirt. Yeah. It's got that feel uh-huh. and they got that vibe and they're doing good things for the right reasons. Oh, totally. And yeah. uh, thanks to you, I got to <laughs> meet those guys and, yeah. uh, and get the chance to do stuff in like Hurley Burley and Spent and yeah, in the EP3 and like, that's really nice. A, to do it yeah because it's just like i think everyone involved in those books are or any of those projects associated around misspent are on the same page and i think that's why they maybe contacted them in the first place was because it's like you want to 
yeah work with them or help yeah. even if you can i come and sweep the floors like kind of <laughs> yeah, idea totally. like you just yeah, want to yeah. get involved with them yeah. and do something cool and but yeah writing that stuff is nice because it's they know it's about something that you're passionate about and you kind of have a choice in what you write like it's it's all based around getting the best possible like article out there and yeah. the best written piece and then better than that is when you sit down with the coffee and read it and it's a tangible it's you pick it up you touch it you flick through the pages you like read it and my wife thinks i've got an agenda there with social media and all that <laughs> stuff but maybe i do but to sit down and like take the time to read yeah. that and slow down and like it's lovely it's an incredible feeling isn't it yeah. i remember them asking me to write something for hurley burley a few years ago and it blew my tiny mind i was just yeah. like you what really for real like and then it arrives in print yeah you're just like oh my god this is the coolest thing yeah. like it's super special yeah the ep3 one was really good as well because i wrote all the text and then we knew that john gregory would do the, yeah. the illustrations so he's like been involved with dirt as well hasn't he so, so yeah it was like reading through it again is cool because it's it's like a feeling of someone else wrote it Okay. I can't believe that I wrote that <laughs> and I can't believe that that's in there. It's yeah. a bit it's a bit like that kid in Wonderland again yeah, kind of totally. I do it's like really. Yeah. And then seeing what he took out of the text to do the illustrations was hilarious. Yeah. And yeah, the sense found, of humor that he brings into yeah, that is so good. Like a monkey strapped to a greyhound and all that stuff. <laughs> it was brilliant. Now the misspent stuff is like I'm, I want to hold on to that for as long as I possibly can because I cherish that kind of work is good. The writing side of it and all, all that kind of side of what I do now was, mm. I'd say, planned but unexpected. Okay. That was never a big like decision from the beginning. Yeah. I, I think I explained that the, the decision was because I saw a gap in the media market there for technical information and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But how that's gone and the, the like flow of that creative writing and writing thing is really nice so yeah looking forward to doing some more of that this yeah year. it's cool it's what happens when you throw yourself into a world right opportunities come your way and apparently yeah yeah <laughs> good, good yeah. stuff happens no so do the i've got two more in hurley burley this year yeah that's a nice piece that we're going to do on dh bikes and leger world cup round you're going to do the recap. round right up yeah. yeah doing that and then there's a couple of uh new ones in spent too wicked yeah i'm looking forward to seeing spent yeah it gets a bit bigger from what i've heard the format the okay. like size of the book is going to be a tiny yeah. bit bigger yeah and stuff and so yeah there's a couple pieces in there one's really cool we've just hopefully got the ben walker's involvement with champery and the world cup track and the racing and uh, so on is quite deep yeah and so one of them is going to be about the history of the world cup track nice called falling off the face of the earth and his brother <laughs> will is a at that time was a professional photographer and so will has just managed to literally as we speak get the hard drives repaired to pull the original photos off in high res to nice. show of when they walked the diggers down the track and they weren't diggers they were like freaking walking machines and yeah stuff. and to show like the champery world cup track and how it was created yeah that's super cool i'm looking forward yeah. to that yeah, we've been trying to get those photos. I like Ben sent me a load through WhatsApp because he's got the bunch on his phone. Yeah. And they're not they're not quite good enough quality yeah, for a, yeah, like yeah. print magazine. So we were trying to but luckily Will came through. It's taking a bit of time, but Will's come through with those photos. So exciting yeah. stuff. Nice. I want to talk a bit more about some of your more recent work yeah. uh, focused around downhill. So two projects that you're 
pretty heavily involved in. One is frameworks with Nico. We've talked touched on that. I'm guessing the Nico connection comes from his time at Scott. Yeah, he was racing on Stad Scott. Met him there. We were instantly impressed as an engineering team at how fastidiously analytical he was. Yeah, I mean, Brendan had signed not long before that. Brendan is a lovely bloke and just blew our minds with how he rides the bike. Yeah. Nico came along and within two weeks has told us why he was running every position on the bike because he timed everything to be the fastest and tested it. And we were like, oh, okay, wow, you've done more testing than most of the engineering department here. Uh, okay. Impressive. No, so he's ever since then been, he's got a really good head on him yeah. for like technical side. Of for things. sure. No, yeah. Not just riding a bike fast, but knowing what you need to ride a bike fast. Yeah. And that's hard to come by in the racing world. Mm-hmm. It's they're not. There's not many races out there that could probably do what he did. Yeah, and start the Frameworks project and and have that involvement in the bike that you ride and get it so so close to right straight away. Like yeah, you, like even the first okay, there was like build issues and things that yeah, could yeah. be improved, but I don't think fundamentally the geometry and the kinematics have not hugely changed from the first one. He has been taking notes like the whole time, like Scott, Trek, YT, Intense, like he learned what worked and he did that whole feelings to numbers thing as well. Yeah. And knew where the limits were in leverage ratios and progression and curve shape and all that stuff. And yeah, I think if you know, like we know Nico. Yeah. I, I think we're privileged to call him a friend. Yeah. And we know him, but for the people that don't, it's, it's not surprising, I think, that he got it that good that quickly. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say. Yeah. Watching how he's like been a study of downhill bikes and racing and yeah, that kind of stuff. The story that Martin Whiteley tells, like the first time he met Nico. Nico was a junior. Martin was running a team there at some race in the US. And like, you know, the juniors always sort of want to, you know, they knew Martin's the sort of person you want to impress or whatever. Nico came straight over and was just like, Right, how does this work? How many bikes do you bring? Where, how does all the logistics work? He just wanted to know <laughs> yeah. and abs- it's the sponge analogy, right? Yeah. Same as you going into Scott. He just absorbs information from people. He's always interested yeah. in whatever it is. Like, yeah. And he's just a top bloke. Oh, like yeah, his yeah, yeah. heart's in the right place. He's yeah. polite, kind, considerate, like great qualities as just yeah. a person before you even get into the back yeah. industry. And a strong work ethic. Holy moly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah knew Nico since then and uh, a very good friend of mine Ruben Torrenbeek who I met at Scott as an engineer um, he also didn't gel too much with Scott and so relatively quickly I think within a year and a half he jumped ship uh-huh. and took all his ideas and started Raw mm-hmm. which is a Lovely little brand. Yeah. Um, which has grown since then. It's now, I think, seven years that brand's been going. And he was the one-man band in the beginning doing engineering, design, orders, packing, Marketing. driving the bikes around, the, yeah. the whole shebang. And that company has grown. And I've been privileged to be... Ruben and I share so many like things. We We... Same taste in music, same stupid jokes, same love of riding downhill. Uh-huh. And just a bit that kind of like, yeah, riding with him is just, yeah. We gelled instantly when nice. we met at Scott. It was like we'd known each other for ages. And so I've been privileged to watch behind the scenes at Raw, how that grew. Yeah. 
And he'd, he'd show me things like all the way through doing the 3D, the bikes, the original one. He'd show me bits and pieces and ask questions and we'd talk about it and stuff. And I think he came over uh, when I was working for Pinkbike full-time. I had a ton of bikes, DH mm -hmm. bikes. And he came over just in his car and we just rode DH bikes for the whole weekend and thought about them and chin scratched and stuff and everything. And the end of that, I was just like, had such a good like weekend of riding and hanging out and technically talking and chin scratching about dh bikes that i was like mate is there a way that we can just do this like officially and like work together because yeah. it, it by then like bits and pieces were doing and like i'd help him with english text and stuff like that and translations yeah. and he was like yeah let's do this nice. so that was man my memory is terrible for years but it's been a few years now like officially like okay. working for raw yeah and so we developed a DH bike at Raw. Yeah, the Yala. Yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Yala. Okay. So it's exactly the same as like, let's go. Okay. I think it's from Arabic. Okay. Comes from a restaurant in Lisbon, actually. Ooh. Yeah, really good restaurant. Yeah. In uh, in Lisbon. Um, originally, it was reserved for a clothing company, actually, between him and a friend who also works for Raw as the graphics guy. Yeah. Julian Lemmy. Um, and they were going to do a clothing company called Yala. So I think they knew that that one had some potential okay. and they saved it. Frank the Tank got uh, unfortunately rejected as a name for that bike, uh, and we went with Yala. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so maybe we go. We'll circle back to that. But to get back to Nico, so Ruben and I were developing a bike there with um, yeah, basically all both our boxes of ideas of mm -hmm. stuff and what was going on. And I was always updating Ben Walker on what was going on and asking him questions about different iterations of kinematics that we had and what yeah. he thought would work better with shock tune and whatnot and stuff like that. And he was like, you guys really need to talk to Nico because he was also seeing what was going on at frameworks there yeah. in those early days. And so we plucked up the courage, uh, wrote a little message, got both of us to check it, yeah. sent it off to Nico or the number that I had for Nico Malali. And very shyly it was like hey nico hopefully uh you remember i used to work at scott message comes back of course i remember who you are <laughs> i was like holy moly um and so yeah started chatting with nico and it was originally just about we were sharing ideas because so many of the we we're singing off the same hymn sheet i was going to say Daniel there's quite a design. lot of similarity yeah across the two right not just layout but uh ethics of downhill bike if you will or, yeah oh, no it's wrong word but like, like underpinning philosophy of, yeah the philosophies yeah. Of, of how a downhill bike needs to be yeah to go really fast and work and help work with shocks and mm -hmm. help the rider and all, all that kind of stuff like really really similar yeah and so for us it was a great stamp of approval because no matter how hard we ride we're not world cup races yeah, yeah so having that approval from nico if you will unofficially that what we'd chosen at raw mm -hmm. and arrived at in terms of geometry suspension design and all that stuff was correct yeah there's yeah. many different ways to do a bike a yeah. thousand ways to skin a cat but to have that approval from someone like nico and also then from his side he was curious about construction things and company-wide stuff and also just what we thought of his yeah dh bike stuff yeah it's been really collaborative it feels like yeah very open yeah no the whole pro frameworks thing has been very like open it's like pulled back the curtain on the idea that there's a curtain and everyone's like <laughs> yeah. black magic behind the scenes yeah he's he's done a great job of that so no since then uh chatted more and more and more and chat yeah he just gets he wants to know what you think and stuff and then started to do effectively a bit more work for him when he got involved in a carbon fiber rear end yeah um 
he'd already got one model, 3D model of the carbon rear end. And the guys had literally just taken the aluminium rear end and one for one just <laughs> just made it like all the edges and shapes that you naturally have going from sort of rounded or yeah. radius tubes into a, a CNC part, they'd copied the lot. So it was one for one, like aluminium shapes and stuff. So wow. that's when I said, yo, if, uh, <laughs> if you want, we can put something together here where, because those guys were doing the 3D cheaper, basically, yeah. Yeah, and a yeah. lot faster. Um, the quality is still good and they were doing it really well. So I was like, look, we could maybe do some feedback here to them okay, to help you out and maybe design a bit better for a composite material yeah. and fit in some bits and ideas. And we tried to fit in that idea of maybe one day using the rear ends for a trail bike. So yeah. it looked at like trail bike cranks, chain rings, all that stuff. And yeah, so I helped him up there. And then recently he came through and actually said, I want you to do the 3D of the mainframes the linkage for as well as linkage sorry for the sort of if you will the generation two of his aluminium frames yeah and by that point he's gone through uh, race seasons and tons of races so many laps and ideas and thoughts and things of those current aluminium bikes yeah. uh, and he'd, he'd found out if you will i think he'd be happy to say that found out the problems oh for sure yeah i think he's been very open on that gone yeah. through them and fixed them and like yeah. found solutions to that and worked them out and so we had really good idea of what we wanted mm -hmm. so in terms of geometry bike feel bike concept all that stuff that's that's very much him yeah. he asked me what i think and i i never try and inject my bias let's mm -hmm. call it let's go back to that idea of bias never try and inject that because i i look up to him and his way of knowing what he needs out of a bike's suspension, geometry, fit, feel to get what he needs to go fast. Yeah. And I, I don't know that as well as he does. Yeah. So I don't touch that idea of it. But we we had the idea to try and make the aluminium frames easier to manufacture mm -hmm. while still being good quality, high-end, yeah. well thought out, but just with the idea that if you can make it a bit easier to manufacture and the less steps in all the manufacturing and stuff, like take yeah. away tube bending and then relative of clocking the bend and the mitre and everything and all that stuff we can then have better frames more repeatably yep that was one of the big aims of the carbon rear end was have repeatable quality mm -hmm. so yeah we did the 3d of the whole mainframes for a dh bike uh he had the idea to turn the shock again to like use a straight down like everything yep. in there is driven by function yeah driven by performance I have to say, calling him a client sounds weird, <laughs> but he is the best person to work for. Okay. It's so gloriously simple. It's all about making things better and faster. Yeah. Be just better. Yeah. And chatting with lots of people in the industry, they they chat with such a smile on their face because there's so many brands where it's not about that. Yeah, there's such an aesthetic <laughs> yeah. driver behind things. And then the performance is done afterwards and then the other people like, the shock guys have to try and fix the problems of yeah. the, that kind of it's there's a few things out there like that so having nico's philosophy and his whole frameworks concept is just a dream absolute dream to work on and him as a person's easy to work with so yeah so yeah we did mainframes and links and the shock extenders for the aluminium frames that he's riding now and all the other people on frameworks that they're they're riding yeah as well as a trail bike yeah um, so that's when we discovered that we fucked up. Yeah, and the swing arm doesn't quite work. <laughs> and the, the carbon chainstay doesn't actually fit. So hindsight is always really clear, eh? And we realized that the one thing we missed is that when we, I 
I tried as hard. We both say sorry to each other. It's funny, but I tried as hard as possible to fit all the clearances in for a trail bike, but we didn't have a trail bike kinematic. Uh, okay. Nico's main pivot is quite high on the yeah. DH bikes, about as high as you can go without starting to think about idlers, uh-huh. which he tested and been through and yeah. everyone probably knows about. Um, but on the trail bike, he wanted it lower, quite a bit lower to get what he was after, uh-huh. um, especially the anti-squat and the pedal kick. Yeah. And it just didn't work. So, yeah. So now there's, it's, it, I'm loving it. It's uh, the opportunity to work more with Nico. So we're yeah. working on a new carbon chain today with some different changes, some future stuff there on more aluminium things and bits Amazing. and pieces. Yeah. And then also like collaborative things with Sai from Caustic on say, steel yeah. front triangles. Yeah. And like, yeah, I think more and more like, for the reasons that Ruben and I wanted to contact him, it's just and exactly the same reasons I think as misspent. It's just a guy doing good things for the right reasons. Yeah. And if you align with that in life and in bikes, you just want to help out no matter what. You just like, can I help you? Yeah, yeah. In can I be any involved? way, shape, or form? Yeah, yeah. can I sweep the floor? Like, yeah. I just want to be part of this. I just want to be part of it. Yeah. So to now yeah, being Fort William because he paid my hotel room. It's like, <laughs> it's super. I still, oh, it's weird. I'm still a fanboy. And I still yeah. sometimes sit at breakfast and I'm like, he asked me a question and I get all nervous because it's Nico Mullally. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you fucking idiot, you're 36. And, and you've known this guy for so long. And now yeah, I call yeah. him a friend and we joke about it. And I'm like, we joked about like, we were laughing like so crazy last night at the idea because Nico prefers a bit more progression. I prefer a bit less. That's mm-hmm. fine. And so we joked about putting a different hole on the shock mount to yeah. have less and more progression. And so one's the Nico hole and the <laughs> other one's called the Dan hole. <laughs> nice. So we're joking around shit like that. But I still have this couple of moments where internally I just have to go breathe. He's your mate. <laughs> yeah, relax. It's okay. <laughs> Which I still find funny. And I laugh to myself about it and like the the human nature things that happen. If you know, it's like there's a person inside myself that laughs at myself. Yeah, yeah. For how how I'm acting. Yeah, and how you are and stuff. Mad, isn't it? Kind of funny. It's a strange world. So yeah, that's the whole, that's the whole frameworks and Nico thing. Nice. Which is awesome. Like he's, I'm actually going to fly home from here with the trail bike. Uh, uh sorry, Ruben, I'm not going to take him Madonna. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah, right, go off to Canada in a couple of weeks. So I'm going to go and just rag it out there. Get and he said, you want to take it? I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. Fits like a glove. Wicked. So yeah, take that over. That's the most DH bike feeling bike with a single crown I've ever ridden. Yeah. And that was his aim. But it still pedals pretty well, right? Oh, it's great. Yeah. I could spend all day on it. It's so like supportive and supple, like beautiful balance of like how it handles when you pedal, but still absorbs yeah. stuff. And like, I may have already checked in with him on when there's going to be a medium frame available. <laughs> I'm doing the 3D, mate. <laughs> Good work. <laughs> just, just uh, put that one higher in the priority yeah, key, would you? 55 reach. Bang on. Something like that. Yeah. Belting. <laughs> it's a tiny bit short, like four, what are we on? 450 chains today, maybe? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. They, nice. Yeah. Happy days. Yeah. I'll try and sneak in a. Let me know what you want engraved on there, because I I can I can do the three D for the little gussets and everything. We can have something engraved there for you. Perfect, thanks, yeah. mate. Sneak it in. <laughs> nice awesome. Touch. I w- I want to use the word simplicity, and it's not the right word because nothing that you do is simple. Hmm. But I think both the Yala and the Frameworks bike are more simple in construction and design than quite a lot of the sort of trending 
bikes within the downhill circuit. We're seeing yeah. like a lot of six bar, yeah, four bar with additional bits and bobs. Like there's a lot of complexity being born into the downhill world, um, which I guess makes sense, right? Everyone now, you know, everyone trains hard, everyone eats well, everyone's strong, everyone's fit. The bikes are all good broadly speaking yeah suspension's good but everyone's looking for these marginal gains so making things more complex people i guess feel there's room to find some of this stuff like what's your view on simplicity versus complexity and i don't i'm not trying to like do down the design of the yellow and no the, not at all because actually doing simplicity well is complex yeah. and hard right but well i think there's a balance it's funny i wrote about that in ep3 uh there's a balance in every facet and taking that one between simplicity and complex um you i feel you need to balance it and yeah i think relative to current exactly right it's relative to current bikes mm -hmm. and that's even before you get into analyzing it's just relative to like where it seems to be right now and also filtering into like enduro and trail bikes as well yeah is complexity yeah that's completely true and so yeah the yalas nico's bike stuff like that lots of the other bikes i've worked on are more simplistic than that mm -hmm. because yeah number of links what's going on like all little bits and pieces but yeah they are still more complex than the age-old comparison of an orange <laughs> yeah, yeah um which does work and riding my mate's orange five a long time ago taught me about predictability even if you did bottom out all day long, it taught me about those ideas of predictability through how the suspension curves look. Yes. Um, and and how valuable and robustness as well, yeah, I guess. Like, totally. Yeah. Not, and not just robustness as in it's not going to break, but you can go and pick up another Orange 5 and it's going to feel exactly the same. Yeah. Like yeah. the tolerance, there's room yeah, yeah. for a sensible amount of tolerance and the kinematic will remain the same. Exactly, whereas yeah. on an intricate six bar, you can move a pivot by what half a millimeter and that's whisker and things change right yeah yeah so i think those bikes like nico and the yellow are sitting in a mid-ground and sometimes just from a consumerist nature or world that we live in that can seem a bit tricky sometimes yeah because they are viewed as perhaps not Simple. the thing yeah, yeah the new thing is yeah. the best always right yeah apparently yeah and so yeah but um no, it's a balance, to come back to your point, uh, between simplicity and complexity. And I think it needs to take into consideration all the factors because a bike is a system mm -hmm. and a bike and a rider are a system. And if you don't consider all facets of that all the time, you can push certain factors too far one way mm -hmm. that mean that one example that we touched on with six bar suspension systems, they are very sensitive. And this is the reason why the other side of that, the ability to adjust very fine tune your kinematics mm -hmm. with incredible precision in a computer is the reason why they're chosen. Yeah. But then if you can't make the things, if the tolerance for your pivots is bigger than how much you're moving them around, which with six bar is true. Yeah. And especially for a lot of the factories where a lot of these bikes are being made, especially the aluminium welded, there's bigger tolerances together in that yeah. aluminium welded construction, unless you start doing huge CNC parts that capture a lot of the pivots and shock mounts together. Yeah. 
like you see on the new Norco, that's you do big pieces that try and get as many of the pivot points together so in one point. Yeah, you can control that much tighter than you can. So yeah. it's being welded together in different parts. And you and, still have a tolerance on the CNC parts as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. If you want really high tolerance, the prices go like through the roof and stuff. So there's a balance there. And so, yeah, I, maybe that is where my bias is, is, is not necessarily in being less links but balancing it with mm -hmm. things that aren't perhaps tangible like construction ease and tolerances and things that people might not understand and see when they go and buy the bike yeah because okay. not everyone has a technical background and understands the way a bike works yeah like not everyone who has a six link bike might understand exactly how it works and where the instant center is and why it's moving around and that yeah. kind of real like even shocks have torrents on them like with nico he's a friend he has a friend who works for roush racing yeah and so we've had access to 3d scanning like industrial grade 3d scanning stuff yeah and so we 3d scanned a hell of a lot of the bikes and one of the shocks on one of the bikes was two mil too short it was 248 eye to eye Whoa. not 250 yeah and it was impacting the kinematics yeah so the chainstay at, at static was 463 not 460 yeah this whole bike changes right yeah and so things like that happen yeah. because you're not only bolting like it's just the frame points in space around. You've got a links, you've got bearings and washers and shocks and, yeah. and everything else, tires. Like I learned very quickly with when we were measuring tires at Scott that those things are not what they say. Like you get a 2D drawing from the manufacturers and it is not even in spec. <laughs> and it's plus minus five on whatever dimension they give you, but yeah. it's the dimensions for the OD are completely wrong. Wow. To the point that lots of bikes were working like lots of 27.5 bikes were actually working when you put 29 inch wheels in them the measured bb height was the same as what they'd quote for the smaller wheels because the tire was so far yeah out. i had that on a scott spark yeah like it was i actually had a plus frame so it's designed around 27.5 plus tires and yeah. actually the bb was bang on geometry with a 130 fork and two 29 inch <laughs> wheels in there so the tire things is like completely out there. Fork, axle to crown is completely yeah. different. Like, yeah. So there's so many other things outside just the frame that have a tolerance on mm -hmm. them. And yeah, I do appreciate and I like that idea because I'm a geek of manipulation of suspension kinematics. But to a point, you start to get like diminishing returns and even risk just not having what you're riding yeah. or not have, ri not riding what you've designed. Yeah, yeah, and maybe not knowing that either. Yeah, totally. Unless you've got the ability, like you say, with a 3D scan or a jig or something to yeah, measure very exactly, accurately yeah. where you're at. Yeah, so I think it's, you can we can pull that idea of suspension number of links out and try and single it out yeah. and look at whether more complex is better or less complex is better. More sim but it, it's always tied to something else. Yeah. Always and forever tied to something else. And that's the thing that for me keeps bikes interesting and the development of them is that that interlinking of every single thing. And the fact that we still don't know half the things and how they interact. Yeah. Chassis flex is like an immense topic that it's taken like MotoGB guys ages to figure out. With a lot bigger budgets than, yeah, the, than to, the bike industry. To not just figure out, but also to like understand how to control it. Yeah. And then manipulate it for different riders on different tracks. And yeah. that's even like flat tarmac where the undulations are like mountain biking is just that's why it's also so tricky yeah like trying to hit the same line twice on fort william is like good luck <laughs> like it's so volatile and so changing and that is 
Mamek Ben Walker says, like, it's you're a little quarter horsepower motor moving violently all over the place. Yeah. And your weight relative to the bike is enormous. Yeah. And so that has a, a, a profound effect on like how the whole system works. Much harder to model, much harder yeah. to predict. Yeah. Not impossible, yeah. but like magnitudes yeah. harder to analyze, predict, completely work with. Yeah. But maybe that's why it's so interesting. It's very And that's cool. why like maybe the coming years of and decades of bikes would be are going to be even better. Yeah. Maybe there isn't a plateau. Maybe there is as well, but like as things are advancing and new technologies are becoming available and all this stuff, especially for racing with like electronics and automation and suspension and that stuff. Yeah. In a racing application, maybe then maybe we've got some really cool things to come. And it's not like the next big thing kind of idea. It's that constant yeah. like refinement and constant like, iteration and improvement. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's cool. Nice. Well, I feel like I could geek out probably for another three or four hours. Yeah. But there's a World Cup qualifying going to happen in the not too distant future. So we should go and get onto the hill. Yes, mate. And uh, shout out some riders and see what's going on. I'm up for that. And maybe we can do a part two at some point. I'd um, be well up for that. I like geeking out. Yeah. And I know that your background is very uh, <laughs> it's directed towards that as well. <laughs> nice. Before we wrap up, uh, I'm going to ask you two really quick questions. Yeah piece of advice for someone that wants to work in the bike industry what would you, what would be your best advice um badger anyone don't give up yeah it's true who you know not what you know mm -hmm. the doors are sometimes not open and you need to bang on them a lot to get in yeah be a sponge yeah if you're a new engineer coming into this industry just uh, or even an old engineer just be a sponge don't come in and try and prove yourself because you're young that idea just yeah. just be a sponge absorb yeah. maybe in the end you do end up being a figure in the industry but that shouldn't be the goal yeah just that shouldn't be the driver just try and learn and ride ride your ass off ride as many different bikes as possible work on your bikes wrench them like study analytical things as well like have that trifecta of like mechanics appreciation for like the mechanical side of bikes and working on them how they go together ride the hell out of them, put feelings to numbers. Nice. And yeah, also just be a good engineer. Good advice. I like it. And I'm going to pick one out of our final four questions. If you could wind the clock back and sit down with yourself age 16, what advice would you give him? Well, um, frankly, nothing. Okay. Because I think if I did know... As much as I look back and think like we talked about with the Intense M1 and would have minded a bit of knowledge about how that thing works, <laughs> if I change anything, I'm nervous that I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah, okay. And I really, really love where I am today. Like I love the fact that life is bikes and bikes yeah. are life. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to change that for the world. I wouldn't want to change losing my hair for the world because that taught me a shit ton of about like self-perception and like, it's none of my business what other people think of me kind of idea of life. And so I, I it doesn't matter what other people think of you do. No. Yeah. I think I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, honestly, no, I think I just I think I just not say anything and watch. Yeah. Kind of quiet nod. Probably like you could say, yeah, be better with money. Yeah, Get your head down and work. Like getting us to learning, right? Yeah. I I've I screwed up there and now it taught me the the value of like or the ideas of money and all that. So I, I wouldn't Maybe it's a weird answer, but I wouldn't say anything. Okay. I wouldn't advise myself to go any different for fear of not being where I'm at now and being so happy with it. Yeah. That's good, mate. I'm stoked. I'm glad yeah. you're happy. 
uh i always enjoy hanging out and chatting and cheers mate Me watching too. racing yeah. um yeah if people want to like follow you check you out is there a website <laughs> i know you're not a social media kind of guy uh, obviously they can look at frameworks they can look at yeah. the raw website but no there's a website garagebikeproject.com okay. yeah um and that's getting updated with all the various faz- uh, facets of projects and uh, okay. writings i've worked on yeah um they can look in ep3 hurley burley yeah Spent you can read, read all that have a look in some of the framework stuff uh raw um is a big brand i work for as well so there's always stuff coming out there yeah um yeah just out and about nice trying to not like actively that like hunt to put myself out there if you will but just work with the uh, cool projects and like it's kind of cool i've worked ended up ended up working with two mates on dh bikes it's in amazing, the end so it? like it's pretty no uh garagebikeproject.com nice it's basically yeah. the main place where uh people can see good about the engineering work i do all right i'll stick a link in the show notes people can find that thanks Lovely. mate it's been a lot of fun thank you very much let's go watch some racing all right mate wicked cheers dan toodaloo All right, that's it for this episode with Dan. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thank you to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode. We Are One are generously offering downtime listeners 15% off all of their wheel sets, rims, and their depackaged bar and stem. That's on top of their recently reduced retail pricing. So whether you want their new convergence wheels, their still very awesome revolution wheels, or their depackaged bar and stem, now is your time. You can get 15% off all of that until the end of August 2023 by using the code DOWNTIMEAUGUST2023 at WeAreOneComposites.com. That's downtime with a capital D, no space, then August with a capital A, no space, followed by the number 2023 at weareonecomposites.com. Please note you must enter that code at the final stage of the checkout process on the confirm order page. Also, don't forget if you want to help support the podcast, and the best way to do that is by heading over to patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast and setting up a donation. That's Patreon spelled P A T R E O N. We've also got t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies available over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. Make sure you're following the podcast by hitting that button in your podcast app now or by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. All right, that's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride. (laughs) 